Good evening. This lecture, Bezrat Hashem, will be Lerfuat Miriam Batnelli, Lerfuat Talia Bracha Bat Marina Miriam, Lerfuat Rosa Bat Buba, and Latzlachat Yosef Ben Moshe, Shalom Bait, Atzlacha, and his Kol Mishpachtoach Zerubit Shuva. And Again, that's, uh, that's the names for today. Baruch Hashem. Uh, we have the today, tonight lecture, next Monday also. And uh, next Monday is the last lecture until after Sukkot. Yes, I'm going away to Israel for a month. And just when I land, I go to LA for a few more days. We have Shabbaton there. The way, I don't remember all the weeks, but most likely there's not going to be more lectures for about two months almost. So don't miss last Monday. It will be some kind of a siyum for the year, early siyum. In Israel, I'm going to have, I'm going to be there five Shabbats. And we have four of them Shabbatonim and seminars and about 25 lectures. It's going to be a very hectic month of Elul. Baruch Hashem. Tonight, we're doing a test on the app. A lot of people keep sending messages. They want the live broadcast. They want the live broadcast. They're not happy that I canceled the live broadcast. I said a month ago that the only live broadcast we're going to do, we're going to do it on the app. But some people still do not download the app. I don't know what they lose. The app is free. It takes a second to download it. They go on the App Store, they see Rabbi Yosef Mizrahi, it's blue with a star David. It's the only place you'll be able to watch the lectures live. Also probably the ones that I'm going to do in Israel, maybe we'll do it live as well. We'll see. We're testing it now. First test tonight. If it will work out, Bezrat Hashem, then it will be every Monday and Tuesday. Live broadcast. Top. Uh, you know, as you know, the situation in Israel is getting worse every day, every hour. There's a government of very wicked people, very wicked. Wicked to the level of Antiochus and Haman, this kind of wicked people. No exaggeration. And all they have in mind is how to destroy the Torah and the Yeshivot and the religious people. Nothing else. They don't care about Iran. They don't care about anything. They don't care about healthcare. They don't care about Israel go, go down the drain. They have only one mission in life, to destroy the religion. Destroy the Avrechim, take away the food from their children, cut the tiny budget that they were giving them, and at the same time, generously giving the Arab mass murderer terrorist Muslim brothers that became their partner in a government, who would believe in Israel the Muslim brother will control in Israel? They are in charge now. They hold them by the neck. 53 billion shekel they give them. And every day the Arabs have more demands. Like today they say, if you don't give us this and this and that, we call off the government. It's like with a gun to the head. The Prime Minister is the biggest clown in the history of Israel. 
a real joke, a sad joke, very sad joke. And today I heard a very good joke about him. It's mitzvah to put down such wicked people that all they care about is to destroy the Torah. Mitzvah to put them down and mitzvah to pray that Hashem will bury these people. The faster, the better. And I'm going to read it to you from Rav Victor Miller's words. But until Hashem will do it, we continue to get punished every day. They made a joke about the, the strongest person, meaning uh, the, the, the fastest runner, and the prettiest woman, and Pinocchio, <laughs> were walking on the street. They saw a competition. Who is the fastest runner? The guy say, give me 10 minutes, let me run, I'll get the gold medal and we continue with our, with our journey. He went inside, won the medal, one, two, three, he is happy. Few blocks later, they saw a competition. Who is the prettiest woman? You know, Miss Universe, whatever. She said, give me five minutes. Let me go, compete, get the gold medal, and we move on. She went, she won the medal, and continued to go. Then they saw a big sign, competition. Who is the biggest liar in the world? So Pinocchio said, you know, my nose is growing by the minute. I'm an expert in lies. No one can lie better than me. Let me go, get the gold medal, and we continue in our journey. Pinocchio went inside, 10 minutes, half an hour, an hour, three hours, what's going on? They scream, did you see a guy with a long nose, Pinocchio? Say, yeah, yeah, he's, he's battling very hard over there. What happened? Pinocchio comes outside, all upset. He said, wow, I never believed such thing. Who is this guy, Bennett? First time I lost the competition. That's the Prime Minister of Israel, Bennett. Ten years ago, Avrovadia Yosef, with his holy vision, called him and his friends Miflaga Shel Goim, a party of Goim. Nothing Jewish by then. Nothing Jewish by then. If Avrovadia would live today, I'm sure even he would be surprised of what they are capable of doing. They're basically destroying Israel. This government is not even a man. The damage they made to Israel, it will take probably 50 years to fix. 50 years to fix what they already did. It's crazy what's happening. And by the way, you should know that it's all punishments from Hashem. Because the way they took the control if you have a few parties, who becomes the prime minister? The one that has the biggest amount of votes. It should have been Netanyahu, but he could not form a government. Then it should be the other wicked one, Lapid, but he could not form a government. Who in the end made the government? The one that has less votes than anyone. Less votes. Imagine now in America, you have Trump against Sleepy Joe, and you had that, uh, what's the, the, that black judge? Remember there was a black judge that dropped out of the race? The judge, no, what was his name? Republican judge. He barely got any votes. 
So imagine Sleepy Joe got 80 million votes, Donald Trump got 80 million votes, and this judge got half a million votes. And he will become the President of the United States. Make sense? Will be the biggest joke. That's basically what happened. This clown with six seats in the Knesset from 120 became the Prime Minister. Why? Everyone hates Netanyahu so much and the religious partners of him, they're willing to put their ego down and unite just for one purpose, to destroy Netanyahu. That was this whole election was about. But it's, it wasn't really Netanyahu, it's his ideology, his Ashkafa, he's always together with the religious people. He's not anti-religion, he's not religious, but he's not anti-religious, and therefore they can stand him, because you know, everyone that is okay with religion becomes their enemy. Those are these wicked people that sit in the government. You understand? That's what's happening. So, as you can see, is the punishment of Hashem. And someone asked me, you always say that everything Hashem does, does for the, for the best. What could be good about this? Find me one good thing about it. One good thing about it. So I'll tell you a story. I'll tell you a story. Maybe you get the point. The point is that there was a king and his right-hand man was a Jew, a religious Jew. And all the ministers around that king, they would go crazy when they see that the king likes the Jew so much. Very, very big anti-Semites, they can't stand it. But the king liked him, he was an honest religious man, he liked him. Some go him appreciate righteous people, even if they're Jewish. So, the king used to go together with the Jew to hunt. The king likes to hunt and the Jew walks with him. The Jew doesn't know how to hunt, but the king, he has his bone and arrow. The Jew helps him to pick up those animals that he hunts. And you know, when the king goes hunting, he doesn't dress like a king. He dressed like a hunter, like Esav. So, one time the king was testing his bone and arrow, and by mistake, the arrow got shot and hit his foot. Boom, right into his foot. The king was screaming, wow, look what, my whole, my whole ankle is injured. The Jew said, don't worry, your majesty, it's all for the best. Everything Hashem does is for the good. The king got angry. What good about this? I have a hole in my leg now. I can't hunt, I can't walk. Who knows how long it's going to be. You're really annoying me. You know what? If you're such a great believer, let me put you in this pit. There was a big hole there. He pushed the Jew, the Jew fell inside, there's no way to climb up. Very deep hole in the forest. He said, now you tell me why it's so great that you're going to be stuck in this hole. Let's see how God is going to get you out of here. But I want to hear now why it's so great that you are down the hole there. You always say everything Hashem does, does for the good. No, please tell me what good about it. 
And the Jews say, the fact that I don't know right now to answer does not change the reality. Everything that happened, happened for the best. The king left him over there. He's thinking, let's leave him there a day or two. Let him get the point. And the king started, the king started to walk on his own. And all of a sudden, like 20 cannibals. Cannibals? They eat people. They threw a net on the head of the king from the tree. They all came. And they say, wow, that's a real chubby guy. We're going to eat him today. We're going to eat him. So they prepared the grill. They took him. They're about to put him on the grill. And that one of them saw that his ankle is all bleeding, dripping blood. They said, oh, no, don't cook him. Why? We may get infection here. He has uh, infection over there. We can get sick. It's not fresh. Let's get out of here. Finally, we caught somebody today and he's injured. We don't eat injured people. Get out of here. So the king ran quickly to the hall and he took the Jew out and he said, I got to admit, you were right, right, 100%. The, the injury that I got saved my life. But tell me, please, I'm still waiting for you to give me an answer. What good is this that you were in a hall for a few hours? The Jews say, why don't you understand? If I would continue to walk with you, they would see that you are injured, so they'll set you free, and they will all eat me. Now, because you put me in a hole, my life got saved, and your life got saved, and we can go back home happily. And that's basically what life is all about. Life, of course, in different format, but the, the formula is always the same. What is it? Everything that Hashem does, does for the good. Kol man David rachmana latavavit. Now we read Baruch Hashem on Shabbat, two parashot, two parashot. One is Matot, one is Mas'eh, and we finish the Sefer uh, Bamidbar, Numbers. Yeah, yeah, patience, where is your patience? So we read Parashat Matot Mas'eh, and we finish Sefer Bamidbar, and now we're starting Sefer Dvarim. Sefer Dvarim is compared to Tfilin Shelyad. Bereshit Shmot Vaikra Bamidbar is Tfilin Shelrosh. Sefer Dvarim is Tfilin Shelyad. What's the connection? If you know in a Tfilin, you have four departments. Each one of them have a chapter from the Torah on a separate cloth, separately, inside one of the four. On the hand, you have all four chapters and one cloth. Not four pieces. One piece, very long, like a belt. You roll it, you put it inside the one of the hand, and that's one piece. 
four and one. The question is, why in a head they couldn't put all four parashiot in one class? Why they have to divide it to four? Who cares if it's four different pieces or one piece that have all four parts from the Torah? After all, what's important is the writing, no? Who cares how many pieces of cloth you have, right? The answer is, a human being was given five senses to operate in life. One is vision, to see, to smell, to taste, to hear, and to touch. For a blind person, how does he recognize things? By smell and by touching. Doesn't have one of the senses. Deaf, he can see, he can taste, he can touch. He has other senses. Everyone, normal person, has five senses. Four of them are in the head. One of them is in the hands. For each one, you have one piece. One, two, three, four. For, for eyes, nose, mouth, and ears. One for each. And... One piece for the hands. That's in one piece. Why the hand is compared to Sefer Dvarim, Deuteronomy? Because Bereshit, Shmod, Vaikra, Bamidbar, that's really the whole Torah. The whole Torah, from the creation of the world until they now finished Parashat Matot Masei, and they are just about to enter Israel, meaning they got the Torah, 40 years just finished in the desert. It's one month before they enter Israel. 40 years minus one month. The one month, the final month, 35 days to be exact, is Deuteronomy, Sefer Dvarim. That's the life of Moshe Rabbeinu. Ve'ele, Vav, it's six. Aleph is one, right? That's seven. Lamed is 30, that's 37, right? And uh, hey, what is it? Five, together, 40, 40, no, without the Vav. Ele Advarim, Ele Advarim, 30, Elef, Aleph, Lamed, and hey, 36 days, the last 36 days of the life of Moshe Rabbeinu. That's what Chazad said. Ele Advarim, that's why it starts like this. So, since Moshe Rabbeinu now concludes and, uh, and basically repeats the entire journey of everything that happened to the nation of Israel, from the first mitzvot all the way, all the way to the end, just when he's about to die. That's the last speech of his life, one month he took. That's why we call it Mishneh Torah. Mishneh means to repeat. Shoneh alachot. Kol ha-shoneh alachot repeats alachot every day. So that's basically a repeat of everything from the beginning to the end. However, it's a little bit tricky. Why it's tricky? Because Deuteronomy has 200 new mitzvot that you, do, you did not have in, it, in the other four, four books. You didn't have them in Bereshit, Shmot, Vaikra, Bamidbar, 200 new mitzvot in a speech of Moshe Rabbeinu. Without Sefer Dvarim, you would only have 413 mitzvot. How many mitzvot Sefer Bereshit has? How many mitzvot? Three. Only three. Which one? 
Prove it's the first one. Have a female and have children. Well, today they don't like this mitzvah in the world. It's they, it's him, it's her. Nobody knows who he is. Don't call me he. Someone told me on Shabbat that now they get angry when you say mankind. People kind. They change it, these liberals. These garbage liberals, they get crazier by the minute. Every minute they become more and more stupid. Now it's not any, you know, they want to redesign the English language. It's too chauvinist. You know, the, 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 the funders of the English language, they call it mankind. But they don't like it anymore. And they can't even say woman because it's also they don't like it. It's they. <laughs> they want something not clear. What are you? I, I prefer not to expose my gender. They have application. He, she, and it. That stupidity of America. In Israel, they're nothing better. Same idiots. So that's what's going on today. But, Baruch Hashem in the Torah, the life is designed for partnership between a man and a woman. There's nothing greater than that in the eyes of Hashem. You should know that. A man meets a woman, they have the right ideology, righteous man, righteous woman, they love each other, they're attracted to each other. And, and there's a mitzvah, mitzvah that they develop their love and the attraction one to another in a highest level. The more a man loves and respects his woman, the greater Hashem is happy. The, the more Hashem is happy. Or the other way around. The more a woman is devoted to her husband, love him and takes care of him and supports him, the better it is in the eyes of Hashem. To the point that Hashem is willing to erase his name if there is a conflict between a man and a woman, and he takes his wife because he suspected that he, maybe she did something not proper, he takes her to the Kohen in Bet HaMikdash, the Kohen writes the name of Hashem, 72 letters, and they put the ink inside the water, and the ink gets erased, and the Kohen lets her drink, and that's how she actually clarified to the world if she actually cheated or not. So Hashem is willing to erase his name, even though it's a huge sin to erase the name of Hashem. But for the sake of peace between a man and his wife, I'm willing to erase my name. That's how important it is in my eyes. So, first mitzvah, purvu. Right after that, brit milah. Hashem said to Abraham Avinu to circumcise himself and, and his children and all the servants that he bought. So, brit milah. And what's the third one? Gida Najeh. Yaakov Avinu fought with the angel. The Sefer Bereshit is Sefer Avot. It's the story of the three fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So, because uh, Jacob fought the angel all night, the angel, the minister of Esav, and won him, won, the, he forced the angel to actually bless him. And the angels say, your name will not be called Jacob anymore, it will, be, it will be changed to Israel. And the nation of Israel, the Torah say, will not eat the Gida Nashe. Gida Nashe is the ligament that the animals have in their back. That's why the Ashkenazim, 
when they slaughter a cow, they don't eat the back of the, cow, of the cow because they say that it's very complicated to remove this ligament. So they don't want to take risks. Sfaradim, they do nikur. The shochet Sfaradi supposed to be an expert to know how to remove it. Why it's so important to remove it? Because if you eat it, it's a very serious punishment. Isur karet. Karet? Karet is like breaking Shabbat. It's like even a murderer doesn't have karet. Some sins that do not look so serious have a punishment of karet, like eating chametz in Pesach. You drink beer on Pesach. It's karet for the soul. One bite of a pizza, karet. Spaghetti, karet. Shot of whiskey, karet. What did you do? Big deal, you drank a little bit whiskey, l'chaim, by mistake. By mistake is not karet, only on purpose. When you know it's Pesach and you're not allowed, and you drink it, chametz, or you eat chametz on Pesach, even though there's no death penalty, but it's a cut for the soul, it's so karet. Gida nasheh, it's so karet. Going into Kodesh HaKodeshim in Bet HaMikdash, where only the Kohen can go, karet. Some of these things don't look so serious. What's the big deal? Why Hashem is so angry about it? Big things. So, it's uh, because of this fight that Yaakov had with his angel, and in the end he changed his name to Israel, even though the Torah continued to call him Yaakov. They asked this question, why sometimes he still call Yaakov after he told him your name will not be Jacob, it will be Israel. Yeah, Israel. Depends if it's referring to him personally or it's referring to the nation of Israel. When it's referring to him, it can still be Yaakov. But when it refers to the nation of Israel, his name will be Israel. Why Israel? Israel means Yashar El. Yashar means straight, honest. Don't move left or right. El is God, right? So the purpose of a life of a kosher Jew is always to be honest with Hashem. The name actually already tells you about the purpose of the Jew in life. To be a guideline for the nations what honesty is. Not all Jews today can claim that they are a guideline and light to the nation, unfortunately. Unfortunately, many of us became very, very rotten and spoiled and off the complete, off the path. Unfortunately, instead of they being light to the goyim, they became darkness to the goyim. Some of the goyim better than them, unfortunately. That's not the way it should have been. It should have been the other way around that the children of God will teach the world how to behave, will teach them uh, moral conduct and, uh, and ethics and uh, all the things that a human being needs to know. Because some people in the world did not get the Torah. They didn't know about the importance of respecting parents and honesty and pay the worker on time and not to make him come ten times to collect his money, all these things. The Torah taught the world how to behave, even the goyim. Parts of the Torah relates to the goyim as well. So, what's the word Israel? It, uh, it resembles the life of a Jew in this world. It starts very small with Yud, the smallest letter, and finishes very big with Lamed, which is the biggest letter 
in the alphabet. Meaning in this world, the Jew suffers a lot. Many of the goyim hates him. There's anti-Semitism everywhere. No matter what he does, they're always going to find what to say. Even though everybody knows the Jews contributed to the world more than all the other nations combined, multiplied by a thousand. I repeat, all the nations in the world, every one of them gave something to the world. Japanese, Chinese, Americans, Italians, even Arabs. What did the Arab contribute to the world? No inventions, nothing whatsoever. Nothing in science, nothing in medicine, nothing in... But they invented one very good thing, falafel. <laughs> and hummus. Can't live without it. Falafel, hummus is in every Israeli home. I heard even McDonald's start to sell now falafel. It's a new thing, Baruch Hashem. So, a lot of Arabs now will move to McDonald's. Cheaper, falafel. The Arabs invented good food and great music, if you like Middle Eastern music. So everyone contributed something to the world. But the Jewish nation gave the most important thing to the world, the Torah, the Book of God. Christianity and Islam will never start if there was no Torah. So if they admire their religion, as fake as it is, but they owe us big time, because without us, they wouldn't have anything to follow. At least they, it makes them happy. They go to the mosque, they scream, they pray, they do things, they have holidays, they serve some sweets, they enjoy the party, right? Christians, they have Christmas, Santa, all these things. It's all a continuation of what they copy from the Torah. They made Easter because they saw Passover. They have New Year's Eve because they saw Rosh Hashanah. They have Halloween because they saw Purim. Everything is a cheap imitation of the Torah. But it makes them happy. So they owe us a lot of gratitude because we give some spice to their life. But not only they don't owe us any gratitude, they hate us even more. Because as long as we are around, it will always reflect on the nonsense of the religion and all the fake things that they made up, man-made religion, full of human errors. But that's not the topic tonight. So the Jews, besides contributing to medicine, uh, they won most of the Nobel Prize winners, and all kinds of things. Almost every device in the world has the Israeli mind in it. Everything, high-tech, this, Intel, Microsoft, Apple, all these big companies have huge offices in Israel, thousands of Israelis, young. They work over there and develop everything the world needs, from medicine, medical equipment, from computers, for chips, from all kinds of things, and unbelievable things. Every car today that you sit in, half of what's in the car was invented by Israel. When you're about to hit the car in front of you because you text and drive, toot, 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 and the brakes, Israeli invention. When you get off the truck, it beeps, Israeli invention. Now the Israelis invented something, if you forgot your baby in 100 degrees in a car, it will not let you shut the car. 
because there's motion detectors. They know that somebody alive is still in a car, it beeps. You know how many thousands of babies died and got cooked in such horrible oven, keeping them an hour or two to choke inside the car? Thousands died like this. Every year you hear more and more, all over the world. So they keep inventing things to make life better. But the appreciation is less and less. The more we contribute to the world, the more we help to the world, the more they hate us. Why? This is a part of the plan. This is how Hashem designed the world. That there will be one successful son and all the brothers hate him. Just like the story of Yosef. Yosef is loved by Jacob more than anyone else. Everyone jealous and hates him to the point they want to kill him with no shame and no mercy. That's the story of the Jewish nation. So, three mitzvot, and one of them is thanks to Jacob and the fight with the angel. What's the meaning of the name Israel? The Jews start with Yud, finish with Lamed, who points up. Lamed, it's 26. You have Chaf, and on top of it you have Vav. Half is 20, and the Vav is 6. It's pointing towards God. Yudke Vavke, the name of God in numeric value, it's 26. 26. It's pointing up. That's where the Jew ends. He starts very small. Yud, weak, small, not so strong. Everyone chasing him, pogroms, holocaust, problems, evictions. But... In the end, it goes up to life of eternity to be together with God. Also, all the names of the fathers and the mothers are included in the name Israel. Yud, Yaakov, and Yitzchak. Starts with Yud. Then you have Shin, Sarah. Then you have Resh, Rachel, and Rivka. Aleph, Avraham, Lamed, Leah. Four mothers and three fathers. Together, Israel. There's a lot of secrets in this name. The angel told him, your name will not be Jacob anymore. So the question is, why when we pray every day, we say, Baruch Atah Hashem, Elokeinu Veelokei Avotenu, Elokei Avraham, Elokei Yitzchak, Veelokei Yaakov. Should have said, Elokei Israel, not Yaakov. His name was changed to Israel. It's a greater name than Yaakov. Why when we pray, why Chazal did not write in a Sidur, Eloke Avraham, Yitzchak, and Israel? Why they stuck to the Yaakov? Yaakov is the old name. There is an upgrade already. The answer is, how many letters the word Avraham has? Five. How many letters the word Yitzchak have? Four. How much is together? Five plus four, nine. If you put Israel, it's five letters. Nine plus five, it's 14. That's not good. You need it to be 13. What 13? Why 13? 13 is gematria echad. One. All three of them is one. Each one of them is equal to the other. They're all great. They're all big tzaddikim. Echad. What do we say? Shema Israel Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. It's Gematria 13. There's a lot of secrets. If they put the word Israel, it would become 14. That's why they kept it with the name Yaakov. Stop.
Let's talk a little bit about the parasha. You'll be shocked with some of the things you're about to hear. The parasha begins about a woman who makes a vow. To make vows, it's very, very foolish. Very foolish. Sometimes people get inspired and they would like to do something, so they want to force themselves to do it by making a vow. What a vow in Hebrew, it's called neder. Sometimes people say, Ani noder, I am actually making a vow. And sometimes people say, Ani nishba, I swear. Who knows the difference between noder and nishba? Neder and shvua, who knows? Both of them, it's a mitzvah from the Torah. You must keep what you say. The Torah says everything came out of your lips. You must keep. Bennett, even though he has a little quarter yamaka on his head, somehow never heard that sentence. This Rasha Merusha. He never heard that the Torah says everything that comes out of your mouth, you must keep. And he committed with a signature. He made a contract in a studio, in live broadcast before the election. I promise my voters, I will never sit with these Arab terrorists because they are the enemies of Israel. I will not sit with the lefties because they are the enemies of Israel. And what did he do? Beg the Arab terrorists, beg the lefties, beg the gays, take me please. I'll do everything for you. That's what he did. That's why Rav Ovadi Yosef Zatzal could not stand him already 10 years ago when he was nothing compared to what he is today. And if Hashem put us in the hand of such a rasha, that's just show you what he thinks about us. If he put us in the hand of him and Lieberman and Lapid, the three most wicked people on earth, Bennett, Lapid, and Lieberman, top three reshaim on earth, we became their servants. They tell us what to do, what to eat, what, to, what we allowed, what we're not allowed. It just show you what Hashem thinks about us. That's, there's no other explanation to this. Because what happened there is against all odds, it's against politics, it's against logic. Where in the history you would find that righties will turn their skin and go with Muslim brother and gays together and make a government? Where did you hear such thing? Never happened in the history such different contradiction. All of a sudden, became brothers. Why? This is what Hashem is showing us. Politicians' value is below zero. Don't ever have any expectation from them. Nothing. So now the question is: the difference between vow and, and uh, shvua when you swear, the conclusion is the same, but the language is different. Neder, you say I. You can say, this is forbidden on me. Kunam, there's all different languages. The Gemara in Masechet Nedarim say, person forbids something on him. I forbid this car on me, meaning I never use it. Or you can say, I swear I will never get into this car. Swear, meaning I speak about myself. I forbid myself on this car. Neder means I forbid this car on me. In the end, it's the same results. Either way, you cannot use that car or that chair or this person, whatever you say. 
So now the question is, if a woman in a moment of inspiration, she wants to promise Hashem that she'll get rid of her wig. And she heard a good speech by Chacham Ovadia Yosef or Rabbi Yaron Ruven, and he inspired her very much, and she already had the scissor in her hand, and her husband walked in after he paid $3,000 from that wig. What are you doing? That's it. And the husband grabbed the scissor, crazy, let's sell it at least, get my money back. No, it's, if it's not allowed for me, then it's not allowed for anyone else. Big argument now. In the moment of fire, she say, I'm making a nether that I never, <laughs> never ever use this wig. One day she survived, and then she found out next week her cousin get married. Ah, it's going to be fancy wedding, Beverly Hills, Great Neck, Flatbush, all the fancy schmancy lady will come with their high heels and $10,000 outfit and $40,000 jewelry and everyone is going to have $10,000 wig directly from an Italian magazine and she's going to come like her grandmother from Iran, or from Uzbekistan, or from Iraq. And now, the Yetzirah got into her. You fool. What a, who, why are you such a hero? Who now will get a phone call? Me? Rabbi, <laughs> I made a stupid mistake. What? I made a nether that I won't use a vow that I won't use the wig, and my husband say, I don't agree. I like you with the wig, I don't want you with the mitvachat. Husband is a big tzaddik, almost like the babasali. So he wants her with the $10,000 wig. So he got very angry that all of a sudden she decided to be a rebetzel. So what happened? He said, hey, it says in the Torah that when a husband heard the vow, he can cancel it. You don't need to do atarat nedarim. I cancel your vow. True or false? false. What did I say? Ah. Let's see what the Torah says. He can convince her not to do it. And even if she did, then he can cancel her vow. And what came out of her lips? She forbid that wig on herself. Or she forbid other things. doesn't have to be a wig. I'm just giving an example that, that, that it's very common. Vashem islachla. And Hashem will forgive her. From the language here, we see that even though now she will be permitted, if her husband canceled it, right? That it's not, it's not 100% kosher. Because she still needs forgiveness. Hashem is going to forgive her, meaning she did something wrong. Forgive her for changing her vow, or forgive her for making a vow? That's the question. Are you allowed to make vows? Technically, yes. Is it recommended? Absolutely not. Never, ever make any vows. Everything you say, I will do, I will come, I will help you, I will give you, always say, Bli Neder. 
all the mitzvot of the Torah, we already made a vow and swore to Hashem we're going to keep it. Therefore, it's not going to add anything or decrease anything from our existing obligation. A person cannot say, I swear I'm going to start keeping Shabbat. You already swore in Mount Sinai, your neshama was there. Meaning, you have to do it whether you swore or you didn't. It doesn't really make a difference. A person cannot say, I'm making a vow that I will never put fill in. It's not going to help this vow. Why? You cannot make vows against a clear obligation in a Torah. When the Torah told you you must do it, you cannot come and say. Or if a person say, I'm making a vow that I will never eat shrimps again. That's stupid. You are not, you are not allowed to eat shrimps as it is, with or without your vow. So the nether is nothing. You are already in a vow. That's just to give us a little bit background. The question is, we learn from the Pasuk and from the Gemara, of course, and from Halakha, that only if her husband cancelled her nether in the same day she made it, or when he found out about it a few days later. Let's say the next day he found out. Yesterday he didn't hear when she made the vow. The next day he sees she came, she came with a hat, and he never sees her with a hat. So he asked her, what happened? Yesterday I made a vow that from now on I don't put my wig on. Ma! You crazy? No, I don't agree. You should have consulted with me before. That's, it is what it is, Moshe. No, no, I disagree. I cancel your vow. Legit or not? Yeah, he just found out. Not every vow he can cancel. Not every vow he can cancel. Only a vow that affects the relationship. Remember this. Not everything. If, for instance, she wants to go to a place when he wants her to be home. She decided to volunteer in, uh, I don't know, in some uh, uh, hospital in the evenings. He comes home, 7 p.m., he wants hot dinner and he wants to be with her. He wants a wife. He doesn't want her to come at 12 o'clock at night. He sees her for one minute. So he can cancel her vow. Why? It's affecting the relationship. If she wants to take his money and give it to all kinds of people, it's Dhaka. She's not allowed. She needs his permission. A little bit she can give without permission. Amount that she knows that he doesn't care about. Five dollars, ten dollars, five, two dollars. Things like this. But if, she, if it's hundreds or thousands, for sure she needs permission. Even she, whenever she owns, it belongs to him while they're married. Even if she had it before, he takes the fruits of it. It's called Nirsemilug. Mara speaks about it. That means as long as they're married, he is, he, it's like he owns her property, but if they get divorced, he has to give it back to her according to how much she was worth at the time of her marriage. There's rules about it. She doesn't lose it because it belonged to her before the marriage. But everything she earned while she's married belongs to him. Everything. Not just the profit, also the business. So for, me, for instance, if she worked very hard and saved money, 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 and she opened herself a women's uh, shoes store, and now she's very successful, she opened the store. 
the store belongs to him 100%. However, she can come and say to him, Moshe, let's make a deal. I don't want your ktuba. I don't want you to give me a place to live. I don't want you, me, you to buy me food and clothes. I don't want any of those obligations that the ktuba gives me, all my rights. I give up on my rights and I will take care of myself financially for my own business. Then it's her. She doesn't have to give him. Why the Chachamim gave Ketubah to a woman? It cannot be that the man is obligated to take care of his wife, buy her, give her a place to live according to his ability, feed her, buy her nice clothes, and if one day he dies, she gets a big amount of money as it's written. So she's fully protected, no matter what happened. And at the same time, she develops a career and she makes money and she wants to keep the money without helping in the house. It's either this or that. But she has the right. She can say to her husband, I don't want your ktuba. I don't want your matayim zuz. How much is matayim zuz today? Who knows? Matayim zuz, it's what a person needs to survive 12 months. Depends where you live. If you're in Israel, it's $12,000. If it's in America, it's $60,000. Depends. Right? If it's in Uganda, it's 120 bucks. <laughs> if it's in Iran, $12 for the whole year. <laughs> right? <laughs> so it all depends where you live, of course. She can't say, oh, my sister uh, in Beverly Hills, she got $60,000 in her ktuba. The Matayim Zuz, and you're giving me 12? Say, so your sister is in Beverly Hills, you are in Ashdod. <laughs> it's a little bit different. So it's all depend. If it's in Cuba, anyway, there's nothing to eat there. <laughs> Even if you give her a million dollars, what is she going to buy? Cuban cigars? There's nothing to do. So it's all depend on the place. So now you got the idea. She can say, I'll take care of my own needs. You don't have to buy me, you don't have to pay my rent, you don't... I'll do everything. I take care of myself. And uh, at least now she can buy 300 pairs of shoes and he won't make a beep. She buy it from her own money. One of the biggest nightmares of the husband is where, can he, where he can fit all his wife's shoes. There's no room. You need uh, two bedrooms just for her shoes. And another ten closets. Because women, for whatever reason, they love shoes very much. I don't know why. That's the, the number one thing that women like, is shoes. Jewelry also, yeah. But some women gave up on that dream. Jewelry. Shoes, at least they can buy in Walmart. Jewelry, they also can buy in Walmart. I don't know. Anyway, let's move on. So the husband can cancel her vow only if it's in the same day. And only when he heard it. And, it's, and only when it affects the relationship. If something that has nothing to do with him, she wants now, when he's not home, to read uh, an extra book of Tehillim every day. What does it have to do with you? How is it going to affect our relationship? If I won't do this, I'll be sleeping. So how exactly are you going to gain by me not reading Tehillim? So he cannot just come and cancel. Rabbi Akiva, when he heard this pasuk, started to cry. He started to cry. The Gemara says, "Ve'ashem is lachla, ba'me'akatuv medaber." 
What is the Torah talks about? A woman that decided to be nezira, like a monk. From now on, she doesn't drink wine. She saw that few times she drank wine. She became lightheaded. She started to talk too, too friendly with some guys in the office, and at least to some problem. She made a vow, from now on, Ani Nezira. She's a Nezira. What's Nezira? She can drink wine. She can eat grapes. She can eat raisins. There's all kinds of restrictions on a Nazir. And her husband found out, now she doesn't shave her head, she's not aesthetic, she doesn't take care of her beauty, and he's disgusted by the way she looks. I didn't marry you to look like this. What is this? You're a woman, you're not a man. So what happened? It affects the relationship. So the Gemara say, now we cancel her vow. I, dis I, I, I overrule. I'm not agreeing with that. And she did not know that her husband canceled the vow. She didn't know. He found out from his brother or from her sister that that's what she did yesterday. He just found out, his, her sister just told him, hey, Moshe, you're not going to believe what your wife just did. What? Yesterday she said, from now on she's Nezira. Ma? Nezira? On my dead body. I can't sell her vow. But she doesn't know. And after a few hours, she saw good wine in the office, and she drank. Did she break the rules of the Torah or no? Remember, before she drank the wine, her husband canceled her vow. And she is not, she's not aware of it. In her mind, she's breaking the rule of the Torah now. She promised not to touch wine, and she's about to drink the wine, and she's drinking the wine, thinking, I'm committing a sin. Rabbi Akiva said, Someone, the Gemara in Masechet Nazir, page 23, the Gemara said, Tanur Abanan. Her husband cancelled her nether, her vow, and Hashem will forgive her. What are we talking here about? A woman that did not know that her husband cancelled her vow, she still needs to repent. Why? Even though she basically did not break the nether, because her husband cancelled it. But in her mind, she had an intention to break the nether. She's actually committing a sin purposely. Later she will find out, oh, Baruch Hashem, it wasn't a sin. I thought I already violated the rule. Someone like her needs to repent. Why is she repenting? Not for making the vow like you said before. For violating her own nether, not knowing her husband canceled it. The Gemara said, the Gemara continued. The Gemara said, Rabbi Akiva every time came to this verse, was crying. Someone who wanted to eat pork and by mistake ate glad kosher beef, how can it be? Either you go to kosher butcher or you go to Italian butcher. How can it be? The answer, Costco. He came to buy pork. Accidentally, he was on his phone, he didn't realize, he got a pack of glad kosher meat. He went home, he barbecued the meat, 
thinking what a delicious pig. And then his wife said, what pig, you idiot? Look, it's glad kosher, you pay double, triple. Ma? Beef? Return it. <laughs> it's in your stomach already. Someone like that counts like he ate pork or he ate glad kosher beef. What do you think? The Gemara say, someone like that needs slicha and chapara, need to repent, confession, repentance, Yom Kippur. It's count like he committed a sin. Why? Because he had bad intention. Someone that wanted to eat pork and ate pork, alachat kama vechama. It's needless to say. If for not eating pork, you are guilty like you ate, when you actually ate it, it's needless to say what kind of punishment is waiting for you. And it's in everything else in the Torah. You wanted to steal, and you didn't know that the owner of the item made it hefker. He didn't know. I'll give you an example. One guy in the office knew that one of his employees is stealing from him. Things disappeared in the office. And he suspected one of the workers. So he decided to test him. There's a camera. He left some stuff of cash on the desk between all the papers. He called him in. He spoke to him about business. Said, Excuse me, I have to go to the bathroom. He left the cash over there. He went to the bathroom, and this guy see bunches of uh, $100 bills. He took a few. Tip. He tipped himself. So obviously he broke the rules of the Torah. He should not steal. The question is that the owner of the money, did he commit a sin or no? By doing such thing. Or he was entitled to test his employee that he thinks he steals from him. And he was right in the end. He is the thief. The question is, are you allowed to put a trap in front of a blind man knowing his weakness will make him to break the rule? Or you're not allowed? The answer is you're not allowed. You violate the rule of the Torah. You're not allowed to put a good, good steak in front of a guy that's fasting. It's not fair. He's going to see no one is there and he's going to eat. Like the Arabs do in Ramadan. 40 days, Ramadan, you know? So why? It's very hard. Why are you coming with the coffee next to Mustafa? He smells the coffee on the morning and he cannot drink. Are you, by the way, allowed, allowed to make an Arab eat on a Ramadan or no? Let's see, can you say, Mustafa, instead of 50 shekel an hour, I'll pay you today 150 shekel. But you have to eat. I don't want you weak like this. If you eat, here is breakfast, here is your coffee. You eat, I'll pay you three times more. And he ate. Did you break the rule or no? Huh? The whole Ramadan is fake. There's no such thing. Hashem never said to the Goim to fast. They don't need to. 
So if they follow a religion that is not from God, and you made them break that religion, if any, you're going to get a reward for it. He actually saved them from a punishment. One of the biggest jokes is that these Muslims, those who really fast, torture themselves 40 days from morning to evening, and in the end they will be punished for that by Hashem, for making up their own religion. They'll be punished for that, for making up a man-made fake religion. Same thing Christians. They'll be punished for their nonsense holidays. Christmas, New Year's Eve, all this nonsense. Easter. Why? Because it's nothing that Hashem commanded the Goim. The Goim has to keep the seven main laws, which are you should not kill, you should not steal, no sex crimes with a closest relative, no homosexuality, not idol worshipping, obey the police and the court in your town, make an authority that the world will not become a zoo. Make a court, make a police. Why? Because otherwise you cannot live. Right? And you should not eat any animal unless it's dead first. Don't need to slaughter it, doesn't have to be kosher. If the animal is dead, you're allowed to eat. You want to eat rats? Eat rats, as long as they're dead first. Don't be Mr. Lee in China that eat the rats when they move in a plate with his two chopsticks. You see the mouse is moving. You saw that video or no? The mice are moving in a plate. And Mr. Lee is pushing them into his mouth and swallow them alive with some broccoli. Poor broccoli has to go together with the mouse into his stomach. That's what they do. By the way, which one would be worse? If a Jew would eat the mouse or will eat the broccoli? I have genius students, Baruch Hashem. Ariel, wake up over there. Leave the phone. No phone? As you know, Seder Yamur. I ask a question. A Jew that eat the mouse, how many sins he just did? One from the Torah. He eat one piece of broccoli. How many sins he made? Could be a hundred. He has so many worms, microscopic bugs inside. Each one of them is five sins from the Torah. Five or six, depend if it also flies. Bodek is fine. They kill it with chemicals first. Best thing, if you buy uh, broccoli, buy frozen one. You know those big ones from the heaven Costco? Once it's frozen, the eyes of the bugs comes out. Why it's, import why it's important that the eyes comes out? Because it's not a complete creature. If it's a complete creature, by itself it's a sin. But if it's not a complete, meaning it's chopped, or parts of the, of the bug is missing, then it's cancelled by... Meaning if you have 60 times more broccoli compared to this little uh, bug, it cancelled by the majority, which is 60 times more. Meaning... If the amount of forbidden insects are not more than 1.6% of the amount of food you're eating, you did not actually break the rule. It's batel b'shishim. But if the eyes are in place, doesn't matter a lot of broccoli or not, everyone by itself, it's a sin from the Torah because it's bria. It's a complete creature. So when you put it in a freezer, there 
cold weather makes their tiny microscopic eyes pops out. And because of that, it makes them not a complete bria. Best thing is to grind it. Like if you take parsley, you wash it good, but you don't know, maybe there's still little tiny um, uh, flies or things that are inside stuck and it didn't come off. If you grind it, like the Yemenite makes chug with alopino, with the parsley and cilantro, they grind it completely. Then the entire, the entire mixture has tiny things in it, which is not more than 1.6%. So now we got a little bit understanding of, of the food. So the goyim, if they keep the seven laws, they are righteous. Everything else, they have to keep everything that is required by human logic. Meaning, if a guy wants to beat up his father, there is no place it says to the goyim that they're not allowed to beat up their parents. But you don't need God to tell Tony that he's not allowed to hit Vinny, his father. Why? It's common sense. You don't need God to tell you such thing. Every guy in the world understands that if somebody, someone beat up his own parents, he's a monster. You don't need Torah for it. Even Israeli secular guys from the kibbutz, they know it without learning Torah. Why? It's, it's minimum decency. Everybody knows it. Or if you make the streets dirty, you eat something and you throw on the streets. Every human being knows that that's not the proper behaving. So even Goim, they will be punished for doing things that is against human logic. For instance, when they insult each other, when they write bad comments in the internet, when they ruin the business of someone else, all these things, the goyim knows that what they do, it's not proper. But they do it anyway. So they're still guilty of it. But the Ten Commandments of the goyim is the seven laws of Noah. Seven major laws. And that's it. No Ramadan, no Idel Peter, no Christmas, none of this nonsense. No Easter, it's all baloney. All they have to do is to keep the law of God, not man-made God. Or not a son who he never had. Definitely not with a married woman. Why would he go to a married woman? There's plenty of single women. He can be with a single woman. Why does he need a married one? To bring Mr. JC to the world. You know? Why? Why a married one? It says in the Torah, if someone goes with a married woman, it's death penalty for both of them. And a cut for the soul. And if she conceived the boy's mamzer, illegitimate kid, why will he make himself a mamzer son to inform the world about the great Christianity? By Christians, even if a man has a kid with a woman without marriage, it's mamzer. It's not true. They don't know Torah, so they think it's mamzer. Illegitimate boy. That's not true. If a man and a woman have a kid without marriage, the kid is kosher. The relationship is not kosher, but the kid is kosher, it's not mamzer. Mamzer is from a married woman that's conceived from someone who's not her husband, or from a brother and sister, or from a son with his mother, or from a father and his daughter, or, you know, brothers and sisters. Things like this, that's mamzer. Not two, two single boy and girl that had a kid. No, that's not mamzer. That could be Ben Nida if she didn't go to the mikveh. So here is an example how the goyim torture themselves for no reason. 
They don't need to get married. They can live together with no sin. It's no problem. Chris and Christine met each other. Five minutes later, they move in. Ten minutes later, they're already together like they, are, they know each other for ten years already. None of it, it's a sin. And if one day they want to separate, they separate. No problem. Goodbye. It was nice meeting you, Chris. Thank you, Christine. Adios. That's it. Now, a minute later, they meet someone else and they move in. No problem. Jews are not allowed. But they go in, it's no problem for them. So now let's move on. What does the woman need repentance for? After all, she did not break the vow. She did not know that at the time that, her, that she actually broke the vow, her husband, a, a minute before that, already canceled her vow. Right? So, we have to understand. Do we need to say, needless to say, that someone that ate pork, again, Rabbi Akiva says, someone who wanted to eat pork and accidentally ate kosher beef, he needs repentance. Someone who actually ate pork, needless to say, why do we need to learn this from this? We already know that you're not allowed to eat pork. We don't need to do any kind of investigation. From here, we understand that, oh, you wanted to eat pork, but you didn't, but it's going to count like you ate. You have to make repentance. So if you actually ate pork, it's even worse. Every, every person knows it. What's the chidush here? What's the chidush? Why Rabbi Akiva cry? Why not all the other rabbis cried? Why only Rabbi Akiva? After the, the funeral of Yaakov Avinu, when Jacob died, the brothers of Yosef were shaking, paranoid. They said, now it's payback time. Until now, Yosef treated us nice because he loves Yaakov. He doesn't want to upset him. Now he's going to take revenge against each one of us. What's going to be? They got very nervous. And he's a king. All the money in the world is in his hand. In his ring. Paro gave him the ring. Imagine this. He's already the Bill Gates of the world when it comes to money. Actually, today they say that Zuckerberg passed Gates. He's richer than him. He became wealthier than him. Tov. So, so, so the question is, why, on, why, why the brothers were nervous that now Yosef's going to take actions against them. So they came to Yosef and they told him something that is not true. What did they say? Your father commanded before he died, tell Yosef, to forgive the sin of his brothers. Did Yaakov say it? No. Why the brothers told Yosef, our father before he died, commanded you to forgive us, even though we were not good with you. Right? They were so afraid that Yosef's going to punish them, so they made up a story to protect themselves. So Yosef told them, don't, don't be afraid, I'm not God. He's the judge, not me. He's punishing, not me. Whatever he does, he does. Why do you think that I would like to take revenge against you? You thought to do something bad to me, but Hashem had good plan for me. 
How can I do anything bad to you? Meaning you wanted to do bad to me, you couldn't. You thought it's bad, but it wasn't. So why are you afraid that I can do bad to you? With or without me, if you deserve to get punished, you will. And if you don't deserve, I cannot touch a, one hair from your head. Only Hashem decides what you get. So what are you so afraid of? Yosef told them, Yosef told them, even though the truth is that they had to repent, all the tribes, they got punished. What was the punishment? What was their punishment? They all came back in reincarnation and they were slaughtered by the Romans. And that's what we're going to read on Sunday morning in Shul, in Tisha Be'av. Asara Aruge Malchut. Rabbi Shvava Sofer, Rabbi Ishmael, all these Chachamim over there. Kulam Chazru, Begilgul, Vekula, and all of them got the worst way to die. So, even though it was the plan of Hashem that Yosef will arrive to Egypt, they had bad intention, but they were actually executing Hashem's plan. That Yosef will arrive to Egypt to become the controller of all the money. That he can save the Jewish nation and bring them to Egypt. And prepare them for Matan Torah. It was all a part of the plan. So why they have to get punished? Because they had bad intentions. Same thing with the pork over here. You wanted to eat pork. You got lucky and you ate kosher beef. But what was in your mind? You wanted to steal. What happened? You got lucky. The owner of the money made it hefker. The person in the office wanted to see if one of his employees steal from him. He's allowed to put money and leave the room in one condition. That before he leaves the room, he said, this money is hefker. It's not mine anymore. Anyone who takes it, it's his. The thief did not know that he can take the money. In his mind, he's stealing. But actually, he did not steal because this money was like sent on the floor. He can collect it. But he will still be punished for the bad intention. There's one question I don't know why. We say that if a Jew has a bad intention, he wants to do something bad and did not succeed, Hashem does not attach his bad intention to his action. Meaning, it's only a thought. You did not succeed in your sin. That's why you're not guilty. So why here they're guilty? He had intention to eat pork, but he did not succeed. Why does he get punished? The answer is, Rabotai, when a person has a plan to rob the bank and he arrived over there and he started to drill and the police showed up and he ran away and the next day he already gave up. Someone gave him a big amount of money and he did not go and rob the bank. Does he get punished like robbing the bank or at least trying? No. 
Why? It was only bad intention, bad thought, but it did not materialize it. This is only in the first attempt. Second time, if you were thinking to do something bad and, and you failed, it counts like you did. All these things that I was talking about is from the second time and on. First time, Hashem did not give you punishment even though you had bad intention. But after that, from now on, you're guilty even for your bad thoughts and your bad intentions. The question is, the question is, why did Rabbi Akiva had to also die with the other nine rabbis? Why did Rabbi Akiva have to die? When Rabbi Akiva arrived to this verse, he was crying. Why? He said, I know what we will have to go through to repent for throwing Yosef into the pit. That's why I'm crying. Why? Because it's needless to say, we had bad intention, even though Hashem had good plan, we didn't know about it. So we still have to be punished. That's why he was crying. The Gemara in Masechet Kiddushin said that Rabbi Akiva used to make fun at sinners and say, shame on you, Rasha. Why you committed that sin? If you really wanted, you would not commit the sin. Rabbi Akiva blamed the sinners. The sinners will tell him, Rabbi, it's Yetzer I'm sorry. I cannot win the Satan. I cannot win my evil inclination. I cannot fight my desires. You really think I want to commit sins? I suffer myself from the sins. One time, the Satan decided to teach Rabbi Akiva a lesson. Satan is an angel. He can come in any form he wants. He's spiritual, 100%. He came to Rabbi Akiva like a beautiful woman. And Rabbi Akiva saw this pretty woman. Remember, this is the greatest Jew that lived in the history of the world. Somebody asks you, who reached the highest level on his own? Rabbi Akiva. First is Baal Tshuva, so he has advantage on all the others who are born religious. Because when Makom Shebaalet Tshuva Omdim, Afilu Tzadikim Iledainam Omdim. So right away, at age 40, he became Baal Tshuva, he didn't know alphabet. And he reached the highest level in the Torah. That's one. Second, Moshe Rabbeinu got the CD inserted in his mind, like my USB. Not 64 gigabytes, 64 billion gigabytes. Hashem put it in his head, and it took 40 days for the download. It's too much information. You know how much information you have? Wow, non-stop non information. So he was downloading 40 days, but he got it already. Rabbi Akiva reached it in eight years of learning. Eight years of learning. So he's the greatest tzaddik, the greatest chacham, 
and he saw a beautiful woman climbing on a tree. And what happened? He decided to pay her a visit. Rabbi Akiva decided to go visit her up there. As he climbed on a tree like Tarzan, what happened? It was the Satan, it's not a real woman. He changed to the Satan, scary with all these eyes. Rabbi Akiva almost got a stroke from fear. And the Satan said to Rabbi Akiva, you're making fun at all the people who commit sins, huh? If you would not be the legendary Rabbi Akiva that every day HaKadosh Baruch Hu announce your name in the court of heaven, that you are one of a kind, I will chop you to pieces now. But I'm giving you respect because you are Rabbi Akiva, but you should learn your lesson. Next time you see someone commit a sin, you do not know how difficult it was for that loser at that time. He doesn't have Torah, no Musar, he doesn't come to shul, he doesn't have any strength. That's why he's falling. He moved to Miami. What do you expect? He was in a, in a very religious neighborhood. From Borough Park, he moved to Miami. Everyone walks naked all day. After a month or two, it brings him down spiritually. He changed the way he dressed, the size of his yarmulke, his beard are getting shorter by the day. All of a sudden, his head is the beach and the jet ski and the yacht and this and the sun all day. The atmosphere kills you from inside. The atmosphere of the plane. You move to San Francisco. San Francisco. You send your kids to public school over there. They're done. That's it. You lost your children. Guarantee. Not maybe. Guarantee. They all become gays. Massive brainwash. There is gays over there on purpose. There's a YouTube. Someone sent me a YouTube film that they make a song about it. Whether you like it or not, we will convert your children to be like us. That's our mission. That's what they do in America here. That's their mission, to convert everyone to become like them. What will happen if everyone become like them? The world will come to an end after two generations. That's it. No one will be born. But don't worry. Today, the Israeli Supreme Court passed a law that they can have their own children. The question is, what kind of hypocrisy is that? In one hand, they said that the right way is to leave men with men, women with women. But when they want children, all of a sudden, they do need men and women. How are you going to give birth? Soon they will invent something that maybe men can also give birth. That was a joke. Don't worry. It won't happen. So, you know, in Turkey, in Iran, in Turkey, if you put video like this, you, your life is over. One Israeli in, in Istanbul took the Turkish lira. He took the, the Turkish currency. At, 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 I don't know what, 100 lira bill, whatever it was, and clean his nose. 
Why? To show you that the, the Turkish money became zero, has no value, like the Iranian one. So he cleaned his nose, an hour later, Turkish Muslim radical police knock on his door. Open the door! Arrest! Electric shots. Weep! Why? You insulted the national dignity. And I kicked him out to Israel. He's lucky that I kicked him out to Israel. They could have made him go somewhere and nobody would ever see where he is. They have no problem doing it. They're doing it to their own citizen. And one day disappeared. Where is the neighbor? Anyone saw him? 20 years they look for him. They disappear. People disappear in Iran all the time. Especially if they're Jewish. They say, oh, he was a spy. They want to get rid of you, they decide you were a spy. That's what's happening. Tov, as Rabbi Akiva was crying, you know, is the Meshech Chochmah says, when Rabbi Akiva became a Bachur Yeshiva, learning in Yeshiva, he walked on the way and he saw a dead body. Jew died. He carried him all the way to the cemetery. Miles in the heat of Israel. Carry a body to bring him to the cemetery. When he went to Yeshiva and he said to his Rebbe, his Rebbe told him you did not do correctly. Why? It's count like you killed him. You insulted the dead. Why? You should have buried him right away. In his place. Why? We have a rule. Where you die, become your property. Today you don't have this rule. Somebody died in Fifth Avenue, Fifth Avenue doesn't become his. You can't bury him over there. Or Park Avenue. Or anywhere else. But in the old days, in the open field, desert, forest, someone died, they dig a hole, bury him over there, stick some kind of a sign, finish. That's his grave. Doesn't have to pay $60,000 to buy a grave in Jerusalem. A family, if you want to be buried in Arazetim, or in Sanhedria, all these places, $40,000, $50,000 a grave they charge. Some people make billions over there. There's a lot of business. They buy a few acres, divide it to graves, and now they bury husband and wife one on top of the other, making from every spot $60,000, $70,000. All the time I get offers from people. Do you know anyone rich in America who wants to buy a whole lot over there? And you have how many? 3,000 graves. Millions of dollars, but then the people make tens of millions of dollars. But I already learned with Israel everything that has bureaucracy, the last thing you want is to deal with that, even if in the end you make money. Dealing with the authorities and all these rules over there, better not to make money. What's better, to make money and get cancer from a broken heart? Who needs this headache? There's other ways to make money without becoming sick and a broken heart. So Rabbi Akiva say, I meant to do a favor to the dead person. And in the end, my Rebbe told me, 
you actually insulted him. Why? When you are an ignorant person, Amaretz, you mean well, but you do usually the opposite of well. I give you an example. They have a sentence in America, Aderech lagehenom retsufa b'machshavot tovot. The way to hell is full of good intentions. Meaning, I meant well, yes, but you did the exact opposite of what the Torah said. Now I'm going to shock you a little bit. In the Shabbat, we had a discussion in my Shabbat table, my guest and myself, about the words of Rav Avigdor Miller. I always tell you, the biggest one is Rav Avigdor Miller. If you learn all his book, you're going to be a very, very, very big, serious Jew. Very big. Rav Avigdor Miller is the ruler. Everything that moves left and right from what he say, it's not real. What he say, that's the Torah, that's Hashem, 100%. I read thousands of his answers. He never moved one inch left or right. He did not care about politics. He did not care what people would say. He did not care that anyone would be offended. I, my job is to answer the truth. You're offended because of your sins? It's your problem, not mine. Uh, my job is not to be a politician. I'm not looking for votes, for publicity, or for people to stand online and give me checks to get a bracha. It's the last thing he cared about. That's why his books are accurate 100%, all of them. All of them. You will never find one word that came out of his mouth that was incorrect. It's amazing. In our generation, to have such a chacham probably never happened before and probably would not happen again. To have such a complete chacham in an unbelievable way. You read his books, you know exactly what Hashem thinks, thought, and will think about what you do. And this is a perfect example. We have here in the parasha that Hashem said to Moshe, now it's time to take revenge against the Midianim. The Midianim are those goyim who put their prostitutes on the street and make the Jews make sins and lose their olam haba and become idol worshippers. As results of them, how many Jews died? 24,000 Jews. In all the wars of Israel in 75 years, since we became a state until today, we have 23,920 something soldiers died. We didn't reach 24,000, Baruch Hashem. Hopefully we will never do. But that's in 75 years of wars and everyday anti-Semitism and riots and pogroms and assassinations by Arabs, non-stop killing Israeli soldiers and citizens and putting bombs and terror attacks. Everything together, almost 24,000. One incident, Jews went to all these uh, women over there and bowed down to their idols, Baal Peor. 24,000 died, and it could be hundreds of thousands, but Pinchas saved us. Pinchas went and stuck their spear into the Zimri and uh, Kosbi, stopped the Magifat, the Torah say. If not Pinchas, all of you would die. Or everyone would die. Why? But the Jews, they were all crying that Zimri made that sin. 
the Torah said that everyone was standing outside crying. Not like today they give her a talk show. Oh, Zimri, you fight against Moshe Rabbeinu? We'll let you become the Prime Minister, like Bennett. Yalla, we vote for you. Back then everyone was crying. So why they had to get punished? Why you kill them? They did not do the sin. They did not commit the sin. Who did it? One Rasha with ego who was upset that Moshe Rabbeinu did not call him to Bedin. He's the head of the tribe of Shimon. Everybody told him, wow, look at this. Moshe doesn't even count you. Got him angry and he decided to teach Moshe a lesson. Moshe is married to a convert, Zipporah. He went and got a princess, Goya, Kozvi Batsur. He bring this beautiful Goya in front of Moshe. She's permitted to me or no? And started this whole thing. What's the difference between me and you? You also have the same thing. And everybody cried, took her into his tent. And everyone is standing and crying outside, meaning no one agree with what he did. And what happened? No one rebuked and no one stopped him. Only one did, Pinchas. Everybody else was just upset. All of us here are very upset when we see the lefties, when we see the gays, when we see the rotten government of Israel, when we see the murderer Israeli Supreme Court, when we see all these secular haters, Nazis, that all they want is to burn the Torah. They want to burn the Torah, literally. They won't even think twice. Give them the Torah, they'll put it on fire. One of them already burned Filin on YouTube. Yes, that's the kind of secular Nazis that we have in Israel, like Lieberman and his friends. Of course, not everyone. A lot of secular people are people with good art, and they love Torah and respect Torah. But it's less and less. Every year is less and less and less. People going far away from Hashem, from Judaism because of all the brainwash. So we deal with all these wicked people, we deal with the enemies of Hashem. Not only we don't cry, not only it does not make us upset with a broken heart, some of us marry them, sit with them in restaurants, go into business with them, live in the same building with them, and it doesn't even bother us to see a hundred thousand gays walking in Tel Aviv naked. If we were righteous, one month we would be depressed in bed with a broken heart. That the Jews reached such a filth level, the worse than filth. Abomination, the Torah say. Abomination. That those are the people called abomination. That's the word. Death penalty, the Torah say. A permanent cut for the soul from the afterlife. And I walk in the streets of Tel Aviv and not only nobody does anything, they spread their agenda to every other kid in the world. And destroying the world by the minute. More and more and more and more. Every day something new. How many religious people demonstrated? How many gave their life to stop it? How many cannot sleep at night when our nation reached the lowest level ever? We don't even cry. The people in the time of Moshe Rabbeinu, everyone was broken hearted and crying. Nobody cries today. 
Show me one that cries besides few tzaddikim that I know in Yerushalayim. Nobody cries. How many Bachorei Shivot sits and cry that the, their cousins and brothers and neighbors reach lower level than animals? They behave worse than animals. How many people are crying? How many people open up their safe and bank accounts that are loaded with hundreds of millions or tens of millions and begin to write checks that maybe we can make some more Baalei Tshuva and save them? How many? One out of a million? Not even. Not even. So we are worse than these people who died. The 24,000 people that died, each one of them was a thousand times better than each one of us. And Hashem killed all of them. Why? Because they did not grab him by the air and pull him out before he makes the sin. That's what the Torah requires. Don't be politically correct. I cannot stand politically correct hypocrite liars. I cannot st stand all these American double standard speakers who compliment the wicked and kiss up to them just because they want their checks or they want them to organize a nice event in a beautiful mansion. Why don't you tell them the truth? I don't want to upset them. I don't want to scare them. I don't want to turn them off. They have excuses for everything. Let's see the words of the legendary Chacham, Rav Avigdor Miller, about this. Then we will understand why we suffer so much after we read this. So Rav Avigdor Miller says, Vaidaber Hashem el Moshe lemor, Nekom nikmat bnei Yisrael meta midyanim, Vachar te'asef el amecha. Now it's time to take revenge and destroy these goyim called Midianim for what they did to you. It's not just that 24,000 died because of them. They lost their Olam Abba. Idol worshiper loses Olam Abba. It's not a joke. Kochavim Mazalot together with Mechalel Shabbat have no share to the world to come. Karet. Kareti Kareta Nefesh. Kacha Katuv. So that's a disaster. They made 24,000 of my children die while they're worshipping an idol with the Goya together. And they lost their share to Olam Abba and you want to die peacefully? No, there's one more mission for you. You have to get revenge and after that you will be a complete righteous person and you go to heaven. That's what Hashem said to Moshe. Moshe has a problem. He does not want to kill the Midianim. Because rule number one in Judaism is don't ever dare to be ungrateful. You have to be a grateful human being to a Jew or to a Goy. If a Goy helped you, if a Goy supports you, if a Goy say a good word for you, I don't know, any good positive thing he did for you, you owe him a huge gratitude. Whether he's American, whether he's Arab, doesn't matter what he is. Gratitude is the foundation of Judaism. There's nothing Hashem hates more than proud people and ungrateful people. Those are the two worst ones. Ungrateful and proud. So now Moshe doesn't want to kill the Midianim. Why? When he killed the Egyptian in Egypt, he escaped to where? To Midian. Ten years he was there. Tzipora was giving him food every day. They, hide, they hid him over there from the Egyptians. They saved his life. Then he married Zipporah after she converted. 
Then his father-in-law Yitro was Kohen Midian, the Pope, became a rabbi. How can I go and kill them? It's a, it's a conflict of interest. I owe them. They saved my life. But on the other hand, 24,000 of my brothers lost their eternity because of them. So what am I going to do? So Moshe commend Yoshua and the nation of Israel. You'll do the job. Now remember, Hashem did not tell Moshe when to kill the Midianim. He said, after you will kill them, then you can go to heaven. Moshe doesn't want to die. Who wants to die? Even righteous people, they know they eventually will go to heaven, but they don't want to die, they want to live. Moshe could have stole the order another 20, 30 years. Let's prepare an army. Let's train them for three, four years. Let's get some good equipment until we make new swords and spears. And the longer he waits, the longer he lives. What's the rush? Hashem told me, kill them. But he didn't say when. I'll kill them in 10 years. We need time to prepare. What's the rush? Right away, Hashem said to do something. Yoshua, choose Elef Lamate, Elef Lamate. From each tribe, thousand soldiers. Get ready for the mission. The faster, the better. Zrizim makdimim la mitzvot. When you can do Brit Milah at 7 a.m. in a shul with 10 people, or at 10 a.m. with 300 people, 7 a.m. with 10 people is better. Why? The faster, the better. The longer you wait, you stole the mitzvah. The mitzvah was right away in the morning, in the eighth day. The eighth day started at six in the morning. It's already seven. What are you waiting for? I wait for my guests to arrive. When will they arrive? 2 p.m. But Zrizim makdimim la mitzvot. Arvit. It becomes dark today around 9.15. 8.30 sunset. About 45 minutes, it's already dark. 45 minutes later. The time of Kriyat Shema arrives. No, I have Arvit at 10. But now, now, I give you an example. In the winter, it becomes dark at 5 p.m. You have next door 10 p.m. Arvit. Five hours you're waiting to say Kriyat Shema? You have a mitzvah to grab right now at 5 p.m. Why are you waiting until 10? What, what can I do? I have Minyan at 10. What, you want me to take the car and drive half an hour to find Minyan in another town? No. But say Kriyat Shema right away. And then you go at 10 and you pray Arvit. Right away, Mitzvah Doraita. The fact that you're not anxious to already do it shows you that you don't even care. If it was up to you, you wouldn't do it at all. That's called Rizim Makdimim Ha'itzvot. The, the more anxious you are, the more you loved something, right? If someone didn't eat, is counting the minutes. Wow, the fast is finishing. What time? What time? Nine o'clock. Wow, time is now moving. What, what's the rush? Look at this food. I'm dying. Or oh, a person got a good shiduch, the woman of his dream. 
Time is not coming. Wow, the wedding is another 28 days. And 10 hours and 23 minutes and 5 seconds. Moshe, what's going on with you? You don't understand what a nightmare. Time is now moving. I'm, I'm, I'm driving myself. Why? He can't wait. When you like something, you can't wait. If you love Hashem, a mitzvah comes. What? Right away you run before someone else will grab it. But today, you can do it. Rabotai, we're waiting for sponsor of the lecture tonight. Who volunteers? Go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. If it would be Rabotai, there's an opportunity to buy a stack of $1,000 for $20 a piece. Go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead, you're nowhere. <laughs> That's what's going on. So listen to the words of the Chacham, Rabbi Victor Miller. It says like this. The life of Moshe Rabbeinu will come to an end soon. He has one more mission to become complete. And Hashem said, after you wipe out this wicked Midianim, you will be able to lay with your fathers in heaven. Who is his father? Amram. Never committed one sin his entire life. Amram. One of four people who never committed a sin. Who else? His brother Aaron, the big tzaddik, passed already. He's going to be with very good family, very good, uh, you know, group. So, one thing we don't understand. We raise our children and educate them that revenge is very, very low act. Terrible. Leave it alone. No, I won't rest until I revenge. Leave it to Hashem. What's wrong with you? Where is your emunah? Look, look at you. You're a religious Jew. I'm not going to rest until I kill this guy. I, I'm going to... What do we teach? Leave it alone. Forgive and be forgiven. Why all of a sudden it's so important to Hashem to take revenge against this goyim? That's not the way of Judaism. The revenge. To tell people, go and revenge? It looks a little bit strange. It's not, it's not, I cannot understand. We were raised knowing that one of the worst things is to revenge. Like the Torah says, Not only you're not allowed to take actions and revenge against someone, if you come to your neighbor and say, can I borrow a hammer? I need to bang some nails to the wall. Can I borrow your hammer? No, I'm sorry. I can't. A week later, your neighbor come to you. Listen, my hammer broke. You probably bought one already. Can I borrow yours? Imagine, he doesn't even have a shame. He comes. You say to him, listen, here it is. I'm not like you. You can have my hammer. That's already a sin from the Torah, like you ate pork. Because you say to him, I'm not like you. If you don't want to give it to him, it's lotikom. He did not want to give it to you, you do the same thing to him. That's revenge, not allowed. If you gave him the hammer, so you did not take revenge, you gave it to him, but you say, I remember what you did to me, but I won't be like you, and I will give it to you. That's already a sin from the Torah. Just like eating chazir. 
Here, I'm not like you. When you needed me, I come. When you need me. When I needed you, you didn't care. You didn't even answer me. When you need me, I run to help you. Sin from the Torah. Breaking the rule of the Torah. If you tell that Jew, come here, delicious steak, pork, eat. What? You're crazy. Kill me, I don't eat. By saying to someone what I just say is the same thing like breaking the, like eating chazir. Same sin. Sin to this is a sin. This is a sin. So all of a sudden, how all of a sudden it became such an important thing to go and take revenge? Ramshich Rava Victor Miller, he continues and says, in order for us to understand, we have to remember one thing. We have, it's written, El Nekamot Adonai, El Nekamot Ophia. Inase Shofet Haaretz. Right? Mashiv Gemul Al Geim. Translation. God is the God of revenge. El Nekamot. Always take revenge. Always. The judge of the universe is lifted and raised by taking revenge against the wicked and the proud people. If you want to praise God, if you want to elevate him, you have to be very happy when you see that he destroyed the wicked people. Destroy them. All their idols are smashed. They are dying. They are suffering. There is pandemic by them and they all die. You have to say, oh my God, how wonderful you are. Why? Because when the world looks like a zoo with no justice, the gays do whatever they want, the Democrats do whatever they want, the haters of the Torah do whatever they want. The Democrats steal the election. The enemies of Israel took over. Everywhere in Israel you have abomination. And they only get stronger and stronger and there's no punishments to them. It makes all the righteous people wonder, where is God? He's not in action. Why? He went to sleep? What happened to him? He lost his power, God forbid. He cannot take care of all these wicked people like he used to do in the time of the Torah. That brings the honor of Hashem down. But when he destroyed all these kind of people, that's the greatest glory of the Torah. And that's the, that's the verse I was telling you. In a seshofet haaretz, how the judge of the universe is going higher, by taking revenge against the wicked people. As it's written, Be'avod reshaim rina. When the wicked people are being destroyed, it's a great thing to the world. Rina, happiness. Don't ever be a hypocrite. Don't ever cry when Hashem destroyed the enemies of the Torah and people who fight the yeshivot to close them down and people who want to force on us gay marriage and people who wants to cancel the gender, 
and people who wants to make corruption everywhere and they pass laws in San Francisco that are worse than Sodom and Gomorrah that you can go into the store and steal up to $950 and there's nothing they can do to you and all the businesses of San Francisco shut their doors no more department store everyone went out of business overnight it's not worth it people come and steal hundreds of people come every day fill up their bags and leave in front of the camera, in front of the guards. Why? Because wicked people control everywhere. And you see that HaKadosh Baruch Hu, here and there, he gives them a smack. But not enough! And that's what creates a lot of religious people to be weak in their faith. When you become strong in your faith, when you see a bunch of terrorists coming to slaughter babies, and the bomb explodes in their face and all of them died. When you see in India over a hundred idol worshippers in a ceremony coming with their idols and a lightning came yesterday or today, lightning came and burned all hundred of them to death in a second. And you know the Torah said that that's what people that worship idols deserve. You see the hand of Hashem and you praise him for that. Don't be a lefty liberal hypocrite. Don't ever dare to have mercy on the wicked. Don't ever dare. Someone who has mercy on the wicked, he himself is wicked. That's what the Torah says. If you have mercy on people that are criminals and they go against God, that shows that you can care less of the honor of God himself. If you love those who hate God, it's a sign you yourself hate him. And that's what Rav Victor Miller says. When you see the liberal judges, which apparently at least half of them are Jews, unfortunately, he is bringing a case that happened 30 years ago in Crown Heights, that a black guy hit, killed uh, Yankel Rosenblum, what was his name? Killed a Jew, Chabadnik Jew, he killed him, and he went to court and they set him free. He didn't even get a punishment. And everybody saw that he killed a Jew. And I don't know what they did as liberal judges to let him go. After three days of riots that the people of, uh, of around Crown Heights were abusing the Chabad over there for three days, and the wicked mayor of New York, Dinkins, which happened to be black, wanted his friends and brothers to torture the Hasidic Jews. So he told the police, don't do anything. For three days they were standing there, see riots, and they did nothing. Most of you were not born here. Some of you were babies. But I remember this very well. We were in shock here. They were burning cars, smashing cars, going beating up Chabadnikim everywhere. And this is all started by the Chabadnik by mistake hit a kid, a black kid. Accident. I didn't want to kill him. Accident happened with cars. Right away, Mop can start beating him up, and they kill him, this young Kel Rosenbaum. And they kill him. And Rabbi Victor Miller said, when you have liberal judges like this, they destroy the world. There's no justice. Liberalism everywhere. When Hashem will destroy these judges, you have to be more than satisfied. Because when these wicked judges will be destroyed, that means the honor of Hashem and His ruling finally is in effect. And this is, this is a, 
היא רייצבאדת, ינקל רוזנבלאם, השם ינקום דמו, במשפטו יצא זכאי. Why is it? Because the world is full of wicked people, and when the wicked do not get punished, no one is afraid anymore, and everybody becomes more wicked, and more wicked, and more wicked. Until the world become, there's a word for it in the Gemara, Andrelamusia. How do you say it in English? Andrelamusia, meaning a zoo. No, Melamed. No word for that? Chaos. See, you became Israeli. Now I speak better English than you. The world became chaos. No judgment, no moral ethics, no, no moral conducts, no ethics, no nothing. And the, the Rav continue, and he says, it says that the, the, when the wicked people do not get punished, people are suffering. Religious people are suffering. When they see all these hundreds of thousands of abomination people walking, marching in the streets of the Holy Land, naked in front of our children, screaming, kissing each other, behaving worse than animals in a safari. And nobody can do anything. Not only that, the government promote it. They do it with money from the government. When the government passes laws that is going to be same-sex marriage, that's when you know that the next thing would be total destruction. Holocaust, another pogrom, another corona. That's what happens to the world. The whole world is suffering almost two years by now, and those are the reasons for it. And the Gemara named one by one of the, of the sins that people do that destroys the world. Destroys the world. And they chose themselves a flag with all these rainbow colors. Very interesting. The Torah said that once in history Hashem destroyed millions of them. It's nothing new now. It happened in Sodom and Gomorrah. Hashem destroyed all of them. And after the flood, the flood was for them. After the flood, Sodom and Gomorrah, fire came from heaven and burned everyone. After the flood that killed everyone and left Noah and his family only, a rainbow came out. Rainbow is a symbol of what God did to this kind of abomination people. That's what the Torah say. And which sign they chose without knowing Torah? Ironic. Super ironic. The symbol from billions of symbols they could have chose. Which symbol they chose? Rainbow. That represents in the Torah their destruction. No coincidence? What do you think? So Rabbi Victor Miller say. We have to learn very carefully, right? That when a person sees the hand of Hashem taking revenge against the wicked people, he has to praise Hashem with joy. Everyone who has mercy on the wicked, guarantee to be cruel to the righteous at one point in the future. Because if 
you have a pity on the wicked people who rebel against God every day of their life in public and you feel bad for them? That's just a matter of time until your ideology will be so twisted that you won't be able to stand the righteous. And that's exactly what's happening right now in Israel. All these people who constantly kiss up to the wicked became so cruel to the Tabachurei Shivot. The little piece of bread they have, barely, they passed the law to take it away from them. This monster, Lieberman, that is a Jewish Nazi, if he's Jewish, who knows? He may not be even Jewish. But if he's Jewish, he's definitely a Jewish Nazi. Just like the Kapos. The Kapos, the people, the survivors, they said that they were afraid more than the Jewish Kapos than were they afraid of the Nazi soldiers. Because the Kapo tortured them ten times more than the soldiers to try to save themselves by murdering other Jews. One of them was George Soros, who cooperated with the Nazis. All the lefty activities against God in the world, he sponsored. $30 billion he gave to fight against God and the Torah, to promote gays, to promote liberal, to promote lefties, to promote Palestinians. It's unbelievable how the wicked and all the dirt all goes together. What does it have to be with being pro-gay and pro-Palestinians? Why it always go together? Palestinians are the biggest enemies of gays. In Hamas or in other Arab countries or in Iran, they throw them from buildings. They hang them on lifts. If you would say a word that you are like this, the next day your whole family will be dead. Palestinians in Gaza slaughter them day and night. But all the lefties and the gays always goes together and the pro-Hamas. What's the connection? No connection. Besides one, when you feel the wicked, all the negative is getting attached to you, even if there's contradiction. You become an enemy of God all the way. Even when logically, logically, the gays should have hated Palestinians more than the Nazis. Or at least the same, because the Nazis also hated the gays. But somehow, all these lefty gays in Israel are dying for their rights. That as soon as they take over, who do you think the first one they will slaughter? Them. But you see over here, there's no logic whatsoever. No logic whatsoever. They should have hated them the most. They should have loved Israel. Israel is so rotten and wicked that promote their rights. The Palestinians do not promote any of their rights. They're afraid of God more than us. One of the conditions this Muslim brother terrorist said to the lefties, you want me in your government? You have to give me 53 billion shekel, but I have one more condition. You will not promote any gay rights while I'm with you in the government. A mass murderer leader, he said to the Israeli lowlifes, I'm willing to go with you because I want 53 billion shekel. I want to rob you. But I'm not going to take your money unless you first sign that while we together in the same Knesset, I, you won't dare to present any gay activity, rights, or laws, or anything like that. And right away they say, yes, sir, 
Yes, Mahmoud. When I say it, fascist, racist, vile. When Mahmoud say it, yes, sir. yes, Mr. Abbas, of course we understand. We don't want to hurt your feeling. After all, we want to help you to kill us and take over Israel. Of course, why should we do something that you don't like? That's it. That's it. Those who know Israeli politics, they know exactly what I'm talking about. I have one question and we finish here. I'm going to send you home with a question. I really don't know the answer. I didn't have time to look, to be honest. Melamed, maybe you save us. So the question is, next thing in the parasha, we have Bnei Gad and Bnei Reuven, two tribes. They come to Moshe Rabbeinu before we enter Israel. There's supposed to be a war now. We're going to occupy Israel from the seven nations that sits there. Hashem told us he's giving us the land, but there's going to be a war. Bnei Gad and Bnei Reuven, they come to Moshe and say, Moshe, we don't, we don't really want to go into Israel. We prefer to stay outside of Israel and the other side of the Jordan River, meaning where Jordan, the state is, that's where they wanted to stay. Why? Because it's very green. There's a lot of grass, green. It's good for our sheep. We have a lot of sheep. We are big tribes. When we go to Israel, we may not have enough. We want business will be very good over here. We want to live here. Moshe gets very upset. Why Moshe gets upset? You may think, shame on you. God gave us the Holy Land. He took us out of Egypt, promising us to bring us to the Holy Land to build Bet HaMikdash one day. And after 40 years of tortures, finally we're standing by the border about to, to materialize our dream. And you want to stay in America? When finally the salvation began? Now that's not the reason why Moshe got angry. Not at all. He's saying to them, shame on you. Your brothers will go to the war and you want to live here without helping? And they say to Moshe, no, God forbid, that's not what we meant. Of course we will go to the war. Not only will we go to the war, we'll go to the war first line. We will expose ourselves to the highest danger. Once the war will be over, please give us this piece of land here, out of Israel. I'm shocked. I don't understand what's going on here. 60, 70, 80% of the Torah is mitzvot that you can fulfill only in Israel. You cannot do it in, a, in Jordan, in a desert. You can only practice those mitzvot in the Holy Land. All the masrot, all the you know, sacrifices, korbanot. Moshe was begging Hashem 515 prayers, shook the heavens. Begged Hashem, let me enter Israel even for one week. Let me enter Israel as a bird, as a cow, something. As long as I can say that I, I walked in the Holy Land. They come, we are not interested to move to Israel. We don't want to do Aliyah. Forget about Nefesh ben Nefesh. We don't want to go to Israel. We want to stay in New York. So Moshe said to them, you're not embarrassed, your brothers are in a war and you're sitting here in Manhattan enjoying or in, in, in Queens? 
No, that's not what we say. We will join the army, of course. After we defeat our enemies, we want to go back to New York. And Moshe said, oh, if that's what you said, no problem, you got it. What happened to Eretz Israel or Liland? Someone who walks in Eretz Israel, it's mitzvah every step. Someone who lives out of Israel, it's like someone who doesn't have a God. There's hundreds of things that the Gemara speaks about the advantage and the privilege of living in a holy land. All of a sudden, like the holy land means nothing. And remember, today, there is machloket aposkim if it's mitzvah to live in Israel or no. Some say yes, some say no. But back then, there was no argument that is for sure was mitzvah and the will of God that we all enter Israel, that we can keep all the Torah. So how come not one word from Moshe about you're not embarrassed, you want to live in exile when you can get, enter the holy land that Hashem promised us? How are you going to keep all the mitzvot here? You want to give up all these mitzvot from the Torah? You're not anxious to keep the mitzvot? Big mystery. Anyone knows the answer? You know, in America, they say, I hear you. <laughs> Come up with the answer. If you can do it before tomorrow, then I will, I will mention it in my lecture tomorrow in Brooklyn. And on Wednesday, I'm going to speak here in uh, Jamaica Mistake in Hebrew. Yes. Uh, look at my, uh, on my WhatsApp group and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and we uh, advertise on Facebook where the flyer and on, and on my uh, calendar. Benji, how did the live broadcast on the app work today? Did it go smooth or no? Not smooth, but tomorrow You're learning. Today we made an experiment. It's the first, it's an historical moment. We actually did our own live broadcast on the app. Hoping we never have to use the liberal tools such as Facebook and YouTube, all these things to do live broadcast. We use our own app even though it costs us a lot more money, because by YouTube and this it's free, and here it costs money, and we're going to pay, uh, the more people will watch, the more money we will pay, but it's worth it. As long as these lefties don't have any share in our mitzvot. It goes smoothly, directly from the app. Everyone who still did not download the app, do it right now. Go to the app store, it's free. Rabbi Yosef Mizrahi, it's blue with the star David inside. Download the app. On the app, you have a two-time speed. You can order CDs and books. You can make donations over there. Oh, speaking about donations, it will be very helpful for all the people that support if instead of using credit card, American Express, Visa, MasterCard, we lose 3 to 4% on every transaction to the garbage. If they can use instead Zelle QuickPay or Venmo, or cash app, or just email me a picture of a check made out to Rabbi Mizrahi Kirov organization. Send the check to my email, Rabbi, Rabbi Mizrahi at gmail.com. Picture of a check, you can deposit today on the phone. And there's no, and there is no, there is no fees. 
Remember, 3-4% on every transaction over the years, it becomes thousands of dollars eventually. Goes to the garbage, chaval. With this money, we can save a few more hundred people. The, the, the address is Rabbi Mizrahi, Rabbi Mizrahi at gmail.com. Yes, if, if you have any questions about it, just email me, Rabbi, Rabbi Mizrahi at gmail.com. Uh, Baruch Hashem, my new second book in English is on the way here on the boat. In two weeks, Bezrat Hashem will have it. Divine information, anyone who wants to make orders, 50 books and up, 50% off. Instead of $20 a book, $10 only. Same thing with the USBs. M massive order, meaning for distribution, 50% off. The idea is not to make business, it's to help as many more people discover the truth of the Torah and save their soul. Everybody should do it, Rabotai. It's critical days. Now you can buy tons of mitzvot by spending your master money on Kiruv. Kiruv, Kiruv, only saving souls. Invest all your money in this. Kiruv and support people that sit and learn Torah, especially poor Avrichim, especially now with the Israeli decrees of the wicked Lieberman and his government. Now it's mitzvah to help people that sit and learn Israel, all kinds of Avrichim with family, even more than before. Because the little help that they will get from the government, like free babysitter, can put your kids in a special kindergarten for free, and the woman can go and work, and she can support the house. Now they canceled it. So the women can now work. And their husband Shalom can starve now. Because if the, if the husband learn all day in Kolel, and the wife have to watch four, five, six kids, and she cannot work, I don't have to tell you what's going to happen now. Now it's more than ever our duty and obligation, especially all the rich Jews here that spends thousands of dollars on their stupid vacations, give it up. Do something for your brothers. Instead of spending 30, 40, 50 thousand dollars on a stupid vacation in Vegas or Miami, or to go to all kinds of other places, take this money and help the Avrichim. Give the money that they will produce millions of mitzvot for you and make Hashem happy. For sure, Hashem is not happy when you walk in a place when everyone is naked. When so many wicked people are around, everywhere you are, in a hotel, in a pool, in a lobby, going to these places with religious kids is mamash playing with fire. Instead of this, say, you know what, let's stay home in a kosher environment, in a community. And instead of that, the money that we will burn on that annual vacation, we will support... All these Avrechim, few hundred dollars a month, and Avrech can sit and learn. Every day he learns 10 hours minimum, it's 600,000 mitzvot that goes to your account. Every day. Where will you find for few hundred dollars millions of mitzvot goes to your account? Millions of mitzvot, literally, for less than a thousand dollars a month. Where will you find such a thing? Herfer to LA, one way, it's 600 dollars. I paid two, three weeks ago. One way, I needed to buy someone a ticket. It's crazy, the prices. Now for Rosh Hashanah, Sukkot, somebody wants to go with his wife to Rosh Hashanah. Yesterday he told me it's about $700 round trip. $1,400, just to get there. Forget about the hotels and all the other things. They're going to end up spending dollars $8,000, just a couple with no kids. Instead of burning the money there, you can do a lot of positive things. Not everybody has to imitate the rich. 
Just because they do it and they live in such a high standard doesn't mean that's what Hashem wants. He does not want you to imitate them and torture yourself and definitely is not happy from what they do. Instead of burning the money on shtuyot, invest it correctly. Invest it by more USBs. Give it to all the people you know. You meet people in a business. Everywhere you go, you meet all these Israelis, people, earrings, ponytail, tattoos everywhere. Nobody knows if he's Jewish. You ask them, where are you from? Argentina. Your mother is Jewish? I don't know. Your grandma, nobody knows, Russians, you speak to them, you're Jewish, you're not Jewish, I don't care, I don't know. That's what's going on now. You can save a lot of people, but the only way to save them, without money, nothing works. Money, it's called damim in the Torah, blood. Why? Blood is everything. Without blood, you're dead. That's why the Torah compares money to blood. If you cannot afford, like some poor young men that I know, they don't have money. What do they do? They convince others to give. If you convince people that do have to give, whatever they give, count like you gave. Gadola me'ase, Convince your uncle to give a thousand dollars to Kiruv. He gave a thousand, he gave a full reward for it. For you, it's even more. It's count like you gave more than a thousand. It's fantastic. You just have to use your head and fight your desires. Nowhere does it say that you must go on a, on a month summer vacation. Where does it say such thing? All this American culture penetrates to every religious Orthodox family like it's Torah Misinai. And it's very expensive now. It's not what it used to be. It used to be very cheap. Now it's very expensive. People spending a family fifty, sixty thousand dollars to go for a week in a hotel with, with all the expenses and the airfare. It's very expensive. Who needs this? Why? Why? It's with this money, you can one day help your children. One, uh, one uh, woman called me on my way here. Her son is in yeshiva, 22 years old, and the husband is keep pressuring him to leave the yeshiva. I want you to find a job. That when you get married, you will be able to support yourself. I asked her, what is your, your husband's business? What does he do? Apparently, he has a very good business and a beautiful home in a very expensive location. Very expensive. So that means the father has money. So why is he so worried? If he's going to have to support his sons that learn Torah, how is he going to spend $100,000 a year on vacations? So instead of giving up the stupidity vacation and say to the boys, sit and learn Torah, I help you as much as I can, people are in their mind, everything got messed up. They don't know what priorities anymore. This is the, uh, it must be, must be. You have to see how people are upset they couldn't go to Israel this year because they don't let Americans here. They, they speak, they almost cry. Why? They cannot be on the beach now in Israel. Or, or, or going around. It's not the main thing in life. The main thing in life is devotion. Sticking to Hashem as much as possible, avoiding the nonsense around, guarding their children and their neshamot. How many religious parents give their kids smartphones? You're out of your mind? Do you know in one hour what can happen to the soul of this kid? One hour giving him a smartphone that is not protected, that is not blocking all the dirt in the wall. He can see the filthiest thing that he cannot imagine cannot imagine in one hour and destroy him for life. 
Don't be surprised a month later he's a drug addict and he dressed like a goy and all of a sudden tattoo and a year later he married a goya and your life is over. This is, the, this is what did it. That transaction, here, you can have it. He took it, you destroyed him. You destroyed his neshama and you're responsible for all the sins. I promise you one thing. All these religious people who live in illusion that their kids have smartphones and they're good kids, I promise you, if you grab the phone and force them to give you the code, and you're going to go into their phone, you will drop dead after 10 minutes from what you see over there. Every day I see and hear it, every day. You'll drop dead from what you're going to see over there. Who they chatting with, what they talking about. The kids that were innocent and nobody's things. He can tell you what happens in a Hasidic community. I can tell you what happened in Baalei Tshuva community. And other Ashkenazim can tell you what happens in their community. This smartphone is a nuclear bomb that destroys souls. It's not a conventional weapon. It's a nuclear bomb. Give access to your children to the internet. It's destroying their souls for eternity. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. Today, the idiot that invented WWW 30 years ago, the scientist, British scientist, sold the rights on the first internet page by $5.6 million. The beginning of the destruction of the spiritual world, people pay $5.6 million for that original first internet page in WWW today. Yesterday was sold in Sotheby's, in an auction. I wonder who's, who bought such thing, why? I have the first internet page in WWW that was invented, 5.6 million. And you think the, the person that bought it is stupid? In 10 years, he's gonna sell it for 50 million. That's how stupid the world is. Same thing with art. You buy something that makes no sense, catch up on canvas. $46 million. Why? How come it had such a value? Because the world is full of idiots. And everybody try to imitate the other one. Just like those who go play golf in 100 degrees. One of them told me, you're so right. I heard you saying in a lecture, it's all a show off. You know how much I suffer? Go there with the bats and this, in the sun, the sun on your head, to hit the ball. Why? It's a status. I have to show that I'm high society. It's all a show. I call fake. It's rotten and smells and fake. And everybody wants it. It's a status. That's the reason why 90% of the people will buy Lexus instead of Toyota, even though it's the same exact car, 100%. They will pay another $15,000 for show off. Even though most people, when they go to buy a tie, they'll spend $50 on a tie instead of 10 even though it looks exactly the same. Because there's some uh, name of some gay from Paris over there. <laughs> For the filthy face of that lousy monster, they pay another 40 bucks. Not only that, their children check. Oh, nice tie. Ah. Ah. Oh, some kind of a name. 
they know the names of the designers, all these rotten, filthy, abomination people, more than they know the Rishonim on Negmara. Yes, right or wrong? That's the way the world became. Go to the yeshivot, see how the kids fight on baseball cards and basketball cards. Who won on Shabbos? They asked the mailman. What? what? Who won? Who won what? The game. There's a game on Shabbat. Basketball game. You Ben Torah with Gemara. How do you even know about these things? Smartphone, huh? iPads, Instagram, Facebook page he has, all kinds of names he makes to himself. Go, go to the kids and say, open your phone. He will rather die than let you give, give you access to his phone. And that's when you will understand what I just told you now. Right now you still live in illusion because it's sweet. Illusions are sweet. You eat a lot of sweet in your life, you get diabetic. They chop your legs off, or you die. Or you have horrible life. You suffer from your skin, and you have all kinds of other problems. Why? Because you're addicted to sweet. But while you ate the sweet, it was delicious. Chocolates, and cream cakes, and this, and food. Sweet, 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 and in the end you die 60 instead of 80. Illusions explode in the face in the end. That's how it is. It's sweet for the time being until it destroys you. Even with filters, they go around it, of course. What, what Israeli kids, 16, 17, invented, changed the entire world. Do you know Bill Gates bought windows from an Israeli kid for half a million dollars? He wasn't even 18. did not join the army yet. He invented windows, and they made hundreds of billions of dollars over, over it. So if he knows to invent windows, he definitely goes, knows how to go around the filter. Everything they want, they do. I remember seeing religious kids coming to someone's wireless before people put codes, in the old days, standing over there and watching bad things in their screen from someone's Wi-Fi. You know, why, why religious kids have to stand by a house? What exactly they do on the phone? For sure not learning Mara. You gotta get out of this naive lifestyle. You have to watch carefully where your kids go and who they talk to and who their friends are. And the worst thing is what's in their phone. What's in their phone? By the way, even kosher phone with only phone and text, no pictures, no videos, nothing is dangerous. Even that is dangerous because first of all, it distracts you from the learning. Text every second, somebody, friends, coming, going. Already you have another thing in your mind. The, the Torah is not already the main thing in your life. I'm not talking, sometimes you go to houses of modern Orthodox people. They give their kids full freedom in the internet. They sit in a room for hours. These parents are out of their mind. They're modern. What's modern? It's fully secular. What's modern? What person give access to his kids to free internet and call himself religious? I don't get it. Where are you living? In what world do you live in? Do you know in typing one sentence into Google, do you know what can happen to your, to your kid? 
Two days later, the Rebbe will call. I don't know what happened to your kid. I heard it thousands of times. He doesn't learn anymore. He doesn't respond, doesn't care. He comes late. All day he's dreaming about something. Of course, he went to the dirty places. They drive him crazy. And then begin to steal money. And then they become gamblers. And next thing, some mafia guy will knock on your door. I came to collect from this address. You gamble. And then what are you going to do? You're going to beat up your own father. You know how many cases like this I've seen? Your kids borrow money to play. They owe money. Wow, what do you mean, though, money? Well, this is a little kid. I don't care. It says he's older than 18. You have to pay us the 100,000 shekels. Russian map. You don't, you say, no, it's not my problem. Why did you give him access? Boom! They break your face right away. We we'll give you 24 hours. If you don't pay, we'll kill you. And they kill. They're not afraid. They have people sitting in the government, in the police. They pay the money. They do whatever they want. The internet is the poison that never ever been invented something like this ever in the world. The destruction it made to the world, it's unbearable. So now it's obviously the most important thing is to prevent these children from even knowing about it when they're young. You gotta make sure, don't give them any ideas. You have to be very careful what guests you bring into the house. They may show them things over there. I remember when I invited a bunch of secular people for Shabbat with some tattoos. They went to the room, they took their shirt, you know, they were without shirts in a room, not in a living room. And they play cards after the meal. Then all of a sudden I see my kid drawing something on my other kid's shoulder with a marker. So what are you doing? I want to have one like him. One hour, exposure to secular people. Rav Yitzchak Yosef, the chief rabbi of Israel, he said a week ago, of course everything he said again angry because the Torah, they're allergic to the Torah. He said a week ago, if you are American and you want to make aliyah to Israel and you want to live in secular cities, stay in exile, don't come to Israel. It will be destruction to you and your family. You want to move to ultra-Orthodox neighborhood, Bechemesh, Yerushalayim, Nebrak, Modin, areas that fully Orthodox, Elad, Netivot, everyone is religious, come. You want to move to Arcelia, Batyam, Chulon, Tel Aviv, Natania, stay where you are, don't come. He doesn't know that we... Whether you want to come, whether you don't want to come, you can't come. Nobody can make aliyah to Israel. The Jewish agency do not want religious people in Israel. They'll give you hell. Six years they'll torture you and they won't approve your application. It's not Nefesh Benefesh fault. Nefesh Benefesh try to help you to do aliyah and even willing to give you money. But the Jewish agency is the top authority. Even Sarah Pnim, the minister of immigration, is a puppet. He doesn't make any decision. Jewish agency is a mafia who took over the borders of Israel and they do not want religious people. They only want reforms, secular, gays, and goyim. That's it. I'm telling you with 100% guarantee behind what I say. I have more than 100 families who have been through the torture for years already. They keep asking the same thing again and again and again and again and again and they make sure in the end to find one 
document that there's no way for you to get. And that's it. You get stuck. And no matter how much you beg them, I sold my house, I live by my kids, I sleep in the living room, I all my life Jewish, nothing helps. Nothing else. Speak to him, speak to hers. I transfer you to her, I transfer you to him. Speak to Ayelet, speak to Moshe, speak to Itzik, speak to this. Same thing. Give me this. Give, I send it to you six times. Give, me, give it to me. I'll help you. That's already a program. That's how they do it. Why? Do not, we do not want religious people here. We try to get rid of them here. You want us to bring more? We have a very, very secular, communist, Zionist, liberal ideology. We cannot stand religious people. There's nothing we hate more than religious Jews. Don't you see in the government what they speak when they go in the Knesset to talk? Don't you see the rules they passed? They're not hiding it. They have a dream to destroy all the religion in Israel. And they go on at full force. The last thing they want is to bring all kinds of real converts, and Orthodox people with beards and women with Kisui Rosh, as soon as they see in a Zoom interview that you're religious, or they ask you where you were converted, by which rabbi, when they see it's Orthodox, your chance to make Aliyah went down from 100% to 1%. They have to allow few out of a thousand, because they don't want to make it really so clear. But if you are reformed, al kanfein Sharim. Reform, because they know you're goy, you're not a Jew. Yalla. Two reform gays, husband and husband, will help you to make Aliyah. Three weeks is in Israel. Yes, that's what's happening right now. It's like a Kadosh Baruch who shuts everything from all directions. Corona, problems, government. It's from everywhere. We are now exactly in a time what the Gemara in Masechet Sota described. There's no one to count on. Can't count on the army. Cannot count on the police. Cannot count on the government. You cannot count on the United States. You cannot count on anyone. You can't count on anyone. You don't know anymore what to do. So when you are in such a situation, there's only one solution. What is it? To be righteous. To devote your life for Torah and mitzvot and to fix your midot. To fix your modesty if you're a girl. Summer came now. It's disaster. Some Jewish girls from the atmosphere around, they go down. Nothing is more important than modesty to the Jewish girl. Nothing is more important. If a, if a Jewish woman will do everything but she won't be mother, she has no chance to make it to Olamaba because she becomes Machtiat Arabim. Every man who looks at her, it's a sin. One, two, ten, fifty, a hundred, a thousand. In one day, she can gain tens of thousands of sins just from how many people look at her when she walks in the street. And if she's on the internet and she put pictures on social media, oh, they. What a disaster she creates herself. You have to educate these girls. A lot of Jewish girls all of a sudden chatting with people. She's only my friend. What does it mean, friend? Since when you have boyfriend and girlfriend in an Orthodox community? That they chat and talk to each other. He has a friend, so he's speaking to his sister. What do you even what do you texting with a sister? One thing leads to another. You have to 
open up your eyes, come out of your dreams. Come out of your dreams. You don't understand how many kids are dying from drugs. You have no idea what's going on. How many of them, the parents don't know where they are for months. They sleep on buses, they sleep in a park, they take showers in mikves while they steal all the money from people's pants because they need drugs. They steal boxes from the pushka in the shul. Shuls will show you on a camera how these drug addicts' kids come and steal the money to go buy drugs to go another day with it. And they don't even report them to the police because down there's no bail. They go out an hour later, they're back in the street, and the kids have nothing to be afraid of. They have nothing to live for. That's the ones they're addicted to these drugs. Their life is over. Nobody knows how to handle it. Rehabs doesn't work. One out of a hundred doesn't make it in rehab. They drain you for hundreds of thousands of dollars, all these things, and nothing. Once they're in it, that's it. Keeps coming and coming. That's what's happening, Rabotai. This is where the world is. Who is going to get saved on a drowning boat? Only those who will be devoted fully to Hashem. This is the words of Chazal. In these days, Chazal told us what's going to be. I'm not counting on anyone except Hashem. Nothing. Someone told me today, wow, you made such an amazing shidduch. I made nothing. Nobody does anything. It's all Hashem. He used me here as a messenger. But that's it. Just about it. Everything is Hashem. All the credit is to Hashem. Don't count on any human being. Only on Hashem. The more you count on me, the less problems you have. The more you count on me, the less problems you have. The more you count on people, the worse problem you're going to have. The Gemara say, if you kiss up to wicked people, if you join them, if you cooperate with them, you will fall in their hands. And that's exactly what happened to the religious people now in Israel. They cooperated with all these Rashaim in the government. They cooperated with them in all kinds of deals. Now Hashem put us in the hands of these Rashaim. Few years ago, this Lieberman was pro-religion. He was attached with all the religious guys in the Knesset, sitting together in Sheva Brachot, eating hummus with a yarmulke on his head. He speaks worse than Hitler now when he speaks about religious Jews. Why? Because Hashem did it. You kiss up to this Rasha Mechalel Shabbat or Chel Shfanim, I'll put you in his hand. He's going to decide if you have what to eat tomorrow in yeshiva or no. That's written in, in Orchot Tzadikim, chapter 24. Everybody go home tonight, open, or, or way of the righteous. I have a whole series about it. Chapter 24, Hanufa. Read it carefully. I had a guest by me on Shabbat with a ponytail. He can tell you he was by me on Shabbat. He's a witness. Very open-minded liberal. Sweet boy. 30 years old, beginner, just became religious. He loved all the wicked, he loved the gays, he loved, he loved, he loved, you know, I give them a chance, and you know, I got him out of his illusion. I started to show him what the Rambam say, what the Ruchot Sadikim say, he got the shock of his life. Told me, wow, you know these things. Of course you don't know. You learn? Who's going to teach you these things? In the liberal lectures out there today? 
פוליטיקלי קורקט, כיסאפ לקצ'ר, שוגר קודינג, where you gonna hear the truth? Nobody dares to say the truth. If you say the truth right away, they target you as an enemy. Radical. This legend, Rav Avigdor Miller, the leftists used to fight him. The university rabbis, conservative. They used to fight him, this holy legend. Whole Torah was on his palm like this. And they fought him for saying verses from the Torah. So who am I? In a thousand years, I will not reach 10% of him. If I learn a thousand years straight. So I have, I have any chance against them? Of course no. <laughs> From such a holy tzaddik that everybody know that he's holy and righteous and modest and perfect human being. Everybody knew, even his enemies. But they fought him for saying what the Torah say. So I, I'm not righteous like him and not half and not a quarter of him. <laughs> to fight with all these enemies of Hashem, it's very difficult. But that's, it is what it is. People went from you know, Williams. When people appreciate the truth, they'll come. When I spoke in uh, Houston, Texas, people drove eight hours to come. Eight hours to come to a lecture of two hours. When I spoke to her in LA, people came from Arizona six, seven hours driving with a car. Why, when they have an opportunity finally to hear an inspiring lecture, some people will come. I had in Brooklyn, oh, oh, maybe some one of you witnessed it, a guy, a goy, professor, black guy from France, came on a flight from Paris to Brooklyn for the lecture, to take a picture of me, and went back right away to the airport and flew back to France. No, it was about two years ago, three years ago. In Brooklyn, in the same place where I speak tomorrow. I said to him, well, where are you going? He said, I'm going right back to the airport. So when did you come? He said, a few hours ago, I arrived. <laughs> Why did you come for? He said, to come, I came to the lecture. I wanted to be in a lecture one time life. From France to here for two, three hours lectures, that's it. And to take a picture and an autograph on a book and flew back, professor, in the process of conversion. Why woke him up? The debate with a Christian priest. He started to watch lecture. He saw the truth right away. All day, so I listened to five lectures a day. When does he have time for his students? It's a professor. Five lectures a day. He's, I think he's, he, if I'm not mistaken, he's about now, right now, to finish his process. He moved to England. It's very difficult to convert. What do you think? It's easy. You just come and you convert. If you know someone who recommends you and prepare you correctly, the bending count on that rabbi, then they will look at you seriously. If you come on your own, with no sponsor, nobody knows who you are, where you daven, where you go, what do you think? Hi! I love Judaism. I want to join the Jews. Come back in three years. That's the answers you get. They want to see how serious you are. But if you come with a recommendation, recommendation can save you two years of struggle. Good recommendation. You know the difference when you come to the lecture by yourself than when you watch it online. You know, right? One lecture that you come yourself can be equal more than a thousand that you watch online. More than a thousand. Do you know why or no? I explained it. 
because there is a rule by Hashem. If you are the reason that the mitzvah was done by someone, you become a full partner of that mitzvah. So if a speaker comes, like tonight, and people come, he has the right atmosphere that he can give a lecture. So everyone that sits in a crowd created the lecture. If no one would come, everyone would sit home and watch it online. Nobody would come. The speaker would come, see an empty shul. He would not speak. He'll go home. There would not be a lecture. So everyone who actually came, every lecture you participate, once it goes online, and eventually 100,000 people will watch it, and each lecture is about two, three hours. Once it goes online and you get almost 300,000 hours of Torah, goes to your account. When you watch it online, you get three hours of Torah. When you come physically, you get 300,000 hours of Torah. thousand times more. 100% legit. Because you created the lecture. To sit home and watch it on a computer is easy, or on the phone, without coming. If you have two shul, one across the street and one is an hour walk, and you walk to the further one because it's more kosher, Every step you do on your way to the shul, you get a special reward for it. You can go across the street. You get no reward, no schar alicha. You go to a faraway shul, not only the prayers is mitzvah, the way, every step, you get a special reward. If Hashem gave Nebuchadnezzar, the old Nazi from Babylon, 2,600 years ago, he gave them 70 years control of the entire globe for making three steps to honor Hashem. Three steps. He got up from his chair, work. One, two, three. Took the letter from the messenger, moved the name of Hashem from the end of the sentence to the beginning of the sentence. That's all he did. For that, Hashem gave him seven years of control. He was a king 45 years in the whole world. His son was 23 years and his grandson two years. 70 years, every person in the world paid Babylon taxes. He controlled the whole world. Hashem sent him to destroy Bet HaMikdash. Everyone feared him. Seven years for three steps. Imagine a Jew who walks on Shabbat 3,000 steps in a heat to go to shul. Each three steps is 70 years of control in the whole world. At least like this Nazi got. Right? At least not less than him. So he walked three steps and he got seven years of control. You walk 20 minutes. One, two, three, two seconds. One, two, three, two seconds. One, two, three. Each three steps, seven years of control. That's why Hashem cannot give you the reward of your mitzvot in this world. Because it's not possible technically. If every Jew walks to shul, a million Jews goes to shul on Shabbat. Each one of them walk thousands of steps or hundreds of steps. Each three steps equals seven years of control in the whole world. How do he will divide the world to a million people who each one of them earned the world a thousand times? How? It's not possible. You can't give one cake to a million people. Each one barely will get a crumb. Nothing. But the next world, there is endless reward, no time limit, no size limit, no limitations whatsoever. There is endless reward. 
That's why the Gemara says, "Hayom la'asotam u'machar lekabel etzcharam." Bezrat Hashem will be clever enough to remember even half of what we spoke here tonight. Tomorrow at 15 in Brooklyn. Baruch Adonai le'olam. Amen ve'amen. Next week, Monday, I'm still here. Monday and Tuesday, and that's that's it. Baruch Adonai le'olam. Amen ve'amen. Rabbi Chanan, Yemen Akashiyah.